Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to the 150th episode of Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast. Graham McMillan and I return to bring you the most earth-shattering installment yet. Come for the world-changing news, but please do stick around for nearly three hours of discussion about Free Comic Book Day, the casting of Star Wars Episode Seven, changes to the Comixology app, and books like Very Casual by Michael DeForge, Batman Eternal, Issues 3 and 4, Empire by Mark Wade and Barry Kitson, and Avengers, Issues 101 through 113 by Roy Thomas, Steve Englehart, Rich Buckler, and many others. Show notes are now available at SavageCritic.com, and we always welcome your comments and questions at WaitWhatPodcast at gmail.com. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester. Graham McMillan. Jeff. I've got to tell you, you shouldn't be able to talk to me right now. And why is that? Because I literally just shut off my Wi-Fi. And for some reason, it rang before I turned it back on. So I have turned it back on. I'm not quite sure how this is working. But there you go. Magic brought us together, Jeff. Wow. That says something incredibly special. Should we... Should you finish doing what you're doing and then no no i i i'm it's it says i'm online now oh well it certainly does but i don't know i don't know about that ghost wi-fi crap. we'll, we'll see what happens ghost wi-fi sounds like a spectacular like not even a summer blockbuster it's a blockbuster that's you know tom cruise will be in ghost wi-fi yeah. and it'll come out in like you know september or maybe october <laughs> probably october because they'll have the halloween tie of course i i have to say i'm impressed at how how um what faith you have in ghost Wi-Fi. I'm like, yeah, it sounds like a movie that opens on like February 4th and closes on February 6th. And no, see no, Thomas no, that, Howell was like, no, no, I was going to say ghost Wi-Fi. If it opens in February and closes in February, that's a Johnny Depp movie, right? There's like transcendence Ooh. to ghost Wi-Fi, man. I have to say, I have to say, I, I don't know why, but, um, there, there must be some sort of, is it Depp schmertz or something? Like what is the term for when you actually feel kind of, uh, weirdly happy that Johnny Depp's career seems imperiled. I believe it's called the last five years of Johnny Depp's career. <laughs> Has it been five? Isn't it been more I, like no, two I, and a half or I, three? I, I'm probably, I'm probably being very unkind by calling it five. Uh, when, when was uh, Alice in Wonderland? I feel like that was his last big hit, right? Yeah, it sort of seems like it, but. Maybe not. I, I don't Let's, know. Let's see. Right. Active career, according to Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you're not helpful at all, Wikipedia. Maybe you should have gone to IMDb. In fact, I will go to IMDb. Because... Yeah, I'm going to. Don't worry, I've got it covered, man. Oh, great. I always love, I always choose Johnny Depp, and it always goes to results for Johnny Depp. And it, it's like six people, in which Johnny Depp's the top. But it really is like, oh, no, I typed Johnny Depp because I did mean Johnny Sequoia. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, Lone no, Ranger. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say mm-hmm. you're li- like at nine years at least, right? Uh, Alice Wonderland was 2010. Was it? Yeah, and since wow. then you've had. Okay, uh, well, the tourist, of- the tourist stunk. Pirates of the Caribbean, although disappointing by a Pirates of the Caribbean game, uh, game movie, did okay. The Rum Diary was a flop, and people loathed it. Then there was Dark Shadows. Which I think people loathe, but might have done okay money wise. No, no, I'm pretty sure it was a flop, and people loathed it again. Oh, then okay. there's Lone Ranger, which was a flop that people loathed, and now there's Transcendence. He really has just been making some terrible, terrible films. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
I think. And then, then you look at what he's got ahead, and it doesn't look any better. No, it kind of doesn't, does it? I mean... Through the looking glass! Yeah. Well, see, this is it. At least he's going back to his, like, okay, I'll, I'll go back to a Pirates of the Caribbean movie, Caribbean movie, and I'll go to another Alice in Wonderland. You know what I mean? But it's kind of like if those don't prop him up. I'm just amazed at how much people are really were just like, this movie was terrible, and Johnny Depp does not even seem remotely like a human being anymore, so... But that's, maybe that's intentional, because he was playing a virtual Johnny Depp, remember? Yeah, he, he uploaded his brain into the clouds, Jeff. <laughs> Transcendence is such a terrible, terrible Isn't it bad? <laughs> it just seems like it's one of those movies that they like... It really does seem like somebody like rewrote the Lawnmower Man movie, you know, and was like, oh, everybody loves this cyberspace. But, like, did it in, like, 1999 or something. Exactly. Like, They're know? like, well, what if you could upload your brain to the cloud? Everyone's talking about... The clouds. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, that really is just the, like, I can't even get, like, this one JPEG I have saved in Google Drive. You know what I mean? Like, these are all known variables. You know, just the idea that someone, uh, it's just, it's the worst part of, like, hand-waving. I always love one of these things about, it seems to me, I, I, don't, I don't entirely know for sure, but the few times I've actually seeing like correspondence on emails from like people at like Hollywood executives still have like AOL emails and things like the addresses. You know what I mean? Like I just it's kind like, of hilarious, isn't it, that you see that and you're like, wait, how how are you how 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 are you in how are you alive? How exactly are you in this business right now. Yeah. When you're like, yeah, AOL's fine. Yeah. What? <laughs> Why change? I'd have to remember another string of letters. I you know, it's it's just it's so bad. It's just hilarious. You know, it's like yes, email me your script ideas at tburton nine zero four seven at aol dot com. I was a little late getting into aol dot com, so even though I'm really Tim Burton, I had to settle for tburton nine zero four seven. But it's cool. It's cool. <laughs> No, it is cool. Really, it's oh, cool. It's, yeah. it's okay, you guys. <laughs> really, seriously, I'm not minding at all. Um, yeah, I don't. And then, like, cuts to him with a notebook, being like, "Kill off the other 400." <laughs> <laughs> See, I think that's part of it. I think Hollywood people are just like, you know, I'm sure most of them are like, right? Like, I like I even bother with my email. You know what I mean? Like, some well, they of those... have someone to do that. Exactly. They just the, it's it's those poor people who are like having to like, my God, this AOL, you know, email window crashed on me for the 97th time. Can't we get another, can't you just get a domain and a custom email program that we can? No, no, no. Believe me, it took me forever to learn that it was T. Burton 9047, not 7409. So, uh, what I also love is the idea that someone actually prints out all his emails. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like the assistant is like, Here, here's your mail. Oh, yeah. And it's just like, you know, a sheave of papers. Yeah. You know, this is one of those things that will doubtless... Well, okay. Let's say I've got a friend whose name is Fedge. And Fedge works at... uh, (laughs) Where he works, let's... Let's just say that one of the most important people at the place where Fedge works um, actually has his secretary print out every email he receives and fax it to him. This will be Fej Wrestle, right? My, I don't want to give away Fej. Fej, actually, I don't want to say last names. Let's put it that way. 
Fortunately, this is San Francisco. A lot of fishes everywhere. But I don't. I, I'm just uh, saying. I don't think I don't want to give my friend up like what, that. What's What's very funny is when even when I made the joke about they'll have someone printing it, I was like, "That's just offensive. No one actually does that anymore." And you immediately follow up with, "Oh, just you wait, my friend." Exactly. Yes, they do. Exactly. And it's not even like this person is Dave Sim. This is like an actual other human being in the world who. Wait, wait, are you saying that Dave Sim is not a human being in the world? No, I'm sorry. I mean that Dave Sim is another human being in the world. Well, yeah, I guess I am saying that. You're right. Hmm. Uh, I'll stand by it. What the hell? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. There's an opener. We're, we're what? Seven minutes into this podcast and you've already said that Dave Sim is not human. In the world. In the world. I mean that he sort of, I feel he mostly labors in isolation is what I mean. Really? Is that what you mean? That's what, that back, is what I mean. Trying, you're trying to backtrack now. I, I am. I'm, you're like, I'm not saying that Dave Sim is on Mars, okay? Right. I'm, say, I'm not I'm, saying that I'm Dave Sim uploaded his consciousness sense. onto the internet. That would be great. After service 300. Um, and this whole like, oh, you've got to print everything out and fax it to me. It's all, it's all just a scam. You know, he's, he's actually, he's actually a sentient. Um, Jules, Dave Sim is Twitter. <laughs> Man, hey, what's the scoop with Twitter? All of a sudden, Twitter is like the Johnny Depp of social media. All of a sudden, everyone's like, oh, you know, we've made a huge mistake. Yeah, but that's just, everything goes through that, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. We're past the point where everyone's like, well, why would you be on Facebook? So now they're like, well, you know, what other social media is popular? Twitter. I mean, give it three weeks and people would be like, Pinterest. <laughs> you fools. Actually, I was kind of like, Pinterest? Is that still a thing? You know, because I know well, I, Of course, I think that Pinterest is still a thing. I live in Portland. Yeah, did, you see, like... did you see the John Oliver thing about yes. um, Portland? I think people in Portland human Pinterest boards. Yes. I laughed far too hard to that part. I watched that sketch, I think, three times. Twice on your Tumblr, and then once through the miracle of HBO Go, and it was great. In fact, I don't know if you saw that entire episode, but I it did, because it put it all on YouTube. Oh, really? The whole episode's they up on YouTube? The entire episode. Yeah, I, people who are listening, uh, we're talking about John Oliver's new HBO show last week tonight, mm-hmm. uh, and he had a bit about the fact that Portland's uh, it's healthcare registration <laughs> managed to sign up nobody. Despite it's spending a quarter, quarter of a million bill- dollars. No, a quarter, a quarter of a billion. billion. Sorry, quarter yeah. of a billion. Yeah, I know. A million dollars. And they signed up no one. <laughs> Zero people. Which is astounding. Yes. Um, yeah, so go on to YouTube and search for um, last week tonight. And just for, if nothing else, for the speaker. Spectacular, uh, but where John Oliver just attacks or takes down, takes down Portland and is fucking great at it. The rest of the episode, I have to say, was incredibly sharp and uh, oh, I, I genuinely really informative. I, yeah, I surprised by all the bad reviews it got because I thought it was a really good episode. Really, it got bad yeah. reviews. It got lots of being like it was too fast, it wasn't sharp enough, and I was like, really? What? That's exactly what I want from this show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually walked out of. All that news about the Indian election being both edified and deeply, deeply amused, you know? Like, yeah, and also irritated that the American media it really isn't covering. No. The yeah, exactly. And he, spe- he actually lays out why while continuing to be hilarious. Or that um, that amazing takedown, again, of, like, Kellogg's breakfast cereal 
Yes. Study. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. I thought I really thought it was a very very sharp funny show. Mm-hmm. It was like uh, you don't listen to the Bugle, which is his podcast. I do not know. Uh, which it is, was the, wait, it was, is it this podcast? Is that what you're saying? It, is it somehow actually, uh, is it like uh, the secret identity of, of yes. us is what you're I, saying? I am John Oliver. <laughs> okay. You are Stephen Colbert, and I meant to tell you, you have a new job next year. Well, my goodness. I, you're probably getting paid a lot of money for it. Exactly. I'm go- oh, I'm going to get paid shit tons, and um, yeah, we'll just really see how that goes, huh? Oh, you know what we should say at this point, actually? <laughs> Oh yeah! Oh, read email. Um, this is the last episode of Wait What? <laughs> we were going to open with that. We were going to open with that. Instead, it was like magic internet. And I swear to God, like two and a half hours on Ghost Wi-Fi before even moving on to Johnny Depp. Oh, I totally yeah. Uh, At least we're I, selfless. Everyone's going to be like, "What is that a joke?" This yeah. is the last episode of Wait What? Episode one hundred and fifty is the last episode of Wait What, and um, we're kind of pleased that we actually got here. Um, you know, it, yeah, if this was a um, a Marvel comic from the nineteen eighty, it would say issue one hundred and fifty of one hundred and fifty issue limited series. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, isn't it? Don't you really – it'd be so hard to do, like, a version of The Christmas Carol in which Marvel Comics gets hunted by the ghosts of Marvel Comics past, but it's so it so needs to happen in a way. Wait, 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 wait. You mean the actual comics or the people who work there? No, I mean it was some some amalgamation of the two. I don't know. I'm still spitballing this one because it is the idea of, like, let's face it, 150, issue 150 of a 150-issue miniseries – is pretty much close to Marvel's non-ironic marketing strategy these days. Well, no, because they would never get to issue 100. No, no, no. It'd be like 30. They get to like issue 15. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, uh, yes. Yeah. Issue Episode 150. That's us. This is it. Um <laughs> We really, really should have opened that. It's so funny that we were because we, here's the thing, listeners. We actually emailed before the box, and we're like, we because we've not like we've not even hinted at it. Yeah, we should just open with it and yeah. get it over with. Right, exactly. And we're like, yeah, let's let's do. And it. we buried it. Let, I wonder let, if I should. Oh, and we both completely like I forgot. <laughs> I really did. Graham, it wasn't like it was we like, emailed last week. It was like an hour ago. You felt like an hour ago. I know, but I completely forgot. Oh, and man. then it was only when I made the joke about you having a new job. I was like, oh shit, wait. <laughs> <laughs> it's twelve minutes in. It's too late. Uh, well, uh, so yeah. So basically, uh, enjoy it while you've got it, people. That's right. <laughs> You paved that paradise and put up a parking cavalier, lot. doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Well, and then I had the Joni Mitchell lyrics. It took me a minute, but... But hey, we have lots of uh, things that we can talk about this week. Do we? Uh, <laughs> do not. I don't know. I'm, I'm so I'm like... I'm mm-hmm. so can throw at you. Lots of... Lots, Jeff. Graham, it's our last episode. I'm planning on coasting. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> You're just going to like... Uh-huh. Uh, mm-hmm. The entire episode. Yeah, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, Graham, Johnny Depp, dude, I just remembered. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. No, there actually is uh, kind of a flying fuck ton of stuff to talk about. Um, uh, I, I have to say something. That, again, I'll forget, so I'm telling you right now. Mm-hmm. Jeff and listeners, this will be in the past for you. But Jeff, in the future, 
do whatever you can to get a copy of Transformers vs. G.I. Joe and Free Comic Book Day. I know, I know. I don't know how I'm going to get a copy. I don't don't know how to get my Free Comic Book Day copies because I'm working that day. Can I kind of spoil it for you and tell you why you have to get it? No, because I know it's Tom Scioli, right? Oh, it's it's Tom Scioli turned up to 11. Oh, son of a bitch. Yeah, it's Tom Scioli and co-writer John Barber really playing the Kirby for all they can, including the fact that introduce them to the world that's coming is a line of dialogue in the comic. Really? Yes. <sighs> Damn. Yeah, see, no, I'm dying I'm dying to get my hands on that, uh, on the hip-hop family tree. Which is so good. So I, I just, I spent, I spent yesterday reading all of the free comic book day comics. There's 57 of them, Jeff. Wow. And did people just send you all 57? How'd that work uh, exactly? I, I, the, the wonderful things from another world here in Portland gave me a copy. Wow. That's fantastic. Uh, I, because I'm writing up for Wired. I should say that I, I, I'm doing a piece that will appear mm-hmm. tomorrow as we're recording last Friday as you listen to this of like the, the 10 that you should pick up. Right. Uh, and so I had to read all of them. Um, and I have to tell you, Hip Hop Family Tree Two and One is fucking amazing. Yeah, I mean, really, genuinely fucking amazing. That's terrific. It is uh, that and Transformers versus GI Joe. Uh, Transformers versus GI Joe even mm-hmm. are genuinely two of the best comics I've read this year. Mm, 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 mm. It's kind of amazing. They're both free. Yeah. Well, it's it's not surprising. I mean, you know, so I I don't know. I guess it is surprising. Every once in a while, there's some. In the it's I don't know it's it's one of those things where it's like for for the first few years of free comics book comic book day I was always working and I'm still working so I'm going to miss the entire thing you know um, but each year I mean part of it is is because my niece is like four it's like boy these all ages books I put them you know what I mean it's like when I need to to crowd control the child. Um, you know, I, I knew my little pony comic book is perfect, you know? So, the, the all ages ones are really weirdly problematic this year, uh, because so many of them are excerpts of longer works. Mm. And like things like the top shelf comic, top shelf kids club, I think it's called. Right. Is the, the material itself is great, but it's excerpted so Weirdly, I'm the, so sorry I, they did that. I always I, feel like that never yeah. works better. I, I never feel like that works well. It's always yeah, frustrating. I, when I, I do the that. really annoying thing is, so the lead story that I I can't even remember the name of. So let me try and find the comic. But the lead story is uh, is great. It's very very good. But it's literally like it just sort of stops and it's like to be continued. In, and it's a comic that's not even out yet. Right. And all I can imagine is like it could be like I really want to read the rest of this, and they're like, well. Why do you wait three months? Yeah. Which <laughs> ridiculous. It's um, Maddie Kettle, book one, The Adventure of the Thimble Witch by Eric Orchard. Hmm. And it is really, really good. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's if it had been a complete story, it totally would have been in my everyone should pick this up pile. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. because of the excerpt, it's, it's, it really does just stop. Mm. And you're like, well, congratulations. <laughs> That's a great comic that you've made seem that little bit worse because you just stopped it there. Ouch. Not good. And uh, and are the other ones similar in that sense, or were there uh, other reasons? Or I mean, the great thing is, is we'll be talking. Every, every single time that they excerpt, excerpt something, mm-hmm. uh, it's just it reads really oddly. The only one that doesn't is Jellyby, mm-hmm. the, the Kinsu thing. 
which does kind of add oddly, but also ends at a point where, because the backup strips are actually more Jellyby strips and are complete, mm-hmm. you can start to be like, oh, that's almost like an origin, and here's what happens next. Mm. You know, so you, you can you can make up your own continuity for one of a better way of putting it. Right. Uh, but things like the Kaboom uh, is all the Cartoon Network comics, mm-hmm. and all of them just read. I mean, I I'm. I feel like I'm not the right audience for the Cartoon Network comics anyway, because a lot of them feel like weirdness for weirdness's sake. Mm-hmm. But they're because they're like four-page strips or you know two-page strips. They mm-hmm. really feel like that. Uh, like yeah. it feels like weirdly forced. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that read that doesn't read that well. Uh, there, there, but I mean, there's there's a bunch of good stuff as well. I was really genuinely surprised at how good the SpongeBob SquarePants comic is. Oh, like really surprised because hmm. I would like. You know, of all, and also the the Bongo comics, the Simpson comics thing, mm-hmm. it's also really good as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but SpongeBob SquarePants, like Graham Annabelle writing. Oh wow, that would be fantastic, or could uh, be fantastic. And, so. and Ars Wix is is doing does like a two page thing in the middle about like creatures that live under the sea, mm-hmm. and it's just like it's just it's a really good collection of uh, indie or alternative artists just work working on like a Nickelodeon property. That sounds uh, that sounds really good. It's it's really good, yeah. um, but you know there there's a bunch of stuff. Uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy Marvel book is a weird misfire. Hmm. Well, if you think about it, the trailer for Guardians of the Galaxy, the first trailer, is yeah. like here's the team. We will give you their names. We'll give you their their plot synopsis. And that's yeah. basically what this comic is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like okay, so it's got Nick Bradshaw art, which I guess is nice, but you're also wasting like twelve pages telling us something the trailer doesn't like a minute. Yeah, well, I have to say that's that. That is a problem with with comic book storytelling overall these days. I mean, I know that it's especially an egregious sin on free comic book day introduction books, but like um, one of the books that I picked up yesterday because there really wasn't much at the store um, is Deadly Class issue four looked so beautiful. That I was kind of like, oh, eh. and it's Remender who, you know, I you you fall in in and out with Remender. There are times where he works so well for you. Exactly, exactly in the sweet spot. So I'm like, okay, I'll give this a chance. And it was interesting. So I bought the first two issues of the book. I brought them home with the other sort of few meager comics, and then I was, you know, reading to prep for this. I sat sat down. Read an issue and I was like, oh, perfect. This kind of, it just starts in media res. Like this kid is, you know, been recruited to be at this, you know, school of assassins, you know. And so it's like kind of a weird version of like Mean Girls meets, you know, some sort of Japanese manga type thing, you know. But it's it's also like weirdly dated. It's not like in all of this takes place in the 80s. Yes, it all takes place in the Bay Area in the 80s, which is, um... An odd choice. I mean, because for I, me, I, I think it's Rick just re- reliving his youth. Well, it's inter- well, it's sort of a combination of things. Because at least um, from the back of the letters page, it's definitely him talking about his youth in the eighties. But it sounded like he didn't come to the Bay Area until later, and it's more of the artist. Um, let me see if I can if I can actually vouch for that. It would not surprise me if I if I misunderstood that. But that was at the back of the back issue piece. Um, he talks about his neighborhood, about moving every two years and stuff like that. And uh, and most of his stories talks about 
talk about being in Phoenix, Arizona, and being a punk there in the late 80s, early 90s. Mm -hmm. Um, But he says that his artist, who the art is really just fantastic, um, Wes Craig uh, grew up in San Francisco, um, I think. It's kind of interesting. He's like... He says, when you see Westross skate rats bombing the streets of San Francisco, they look like the skate rats you knew in the mid eighties. And, um, I, I, it's interesting. I, so yeah, I'm kind of, I'm perfectly, I'm absolutely 100% a fan in, of the anachronistic, you know, setting. And in fact, I, I had a sort of similar, like, oh, I'd been toying with the idea of writing sort of a school for assassins book set back in, the seventies. So part of me is like, eh, so run with the idea. But the thing that was amazing is the first issue was so incredibly lean. And I'm like, wow, this really got right to the point. This is fantastic. And I picked up the next issue and realized I'd read them out of order. I'd started with issue two, (laughs) which started in media res. And then I picked up issue one and I'm like, oh man, this is all this stuff that you, that they just did such a good job. Like, you know, yeah, skipping over it. Like it gave you it gave you like you were able to infer the backstory from everything that was happening. And so I really am kind of I just feel like that's so much of comics problem right now, you know, the whole like, oh, we got to start. Let's start at the very beginning. Let's not confuse anybody. Let's just start. Okay, let's start right Okay, right. Okay, you know what? Oh, first off, let's have a zero issue. But then after that, let's really start it from you know, the origin of like Star Lord. Who inseminated Star Lord's mom? Let's start there. You hey, know that that is issue zero. Thanks very much. <laughs> that that is exactly what happens in Guardians of the Galaxy issue zero. Is it? Yeah, I don't really genuinely I'm not joking. Did you not know that? No, I had no idea. Yeah, that's no. that's really what it is. It's no. so funny because uh Engelhart did the origin of Star Lord in what, eight pages or something ridiculous? Mm-hmm. And Ben just is like, I could do it just like that. But twenty pages, right, right, totally, totally. Was it was it was it Inkelhart or what? I wanted to say it was Doug Monick, but mm, uh, no, it was Inkelhart. Inkelhart came out with him. Oh, really? I, I think Doug Munch Monick, however Monich. you say, I screwed it up. Uh, I think he might have done a retcon of the origin uh, because definitely Inkelhart's original origin and the origin that stands now are. Have have significant differences. Yes, they definitely have. But meh, in, in any event, I I just threw the name out there. It might have been someone else working on it. Uh, but it's funny you say Shazira because also in the uh, free comic day pile is uh, New Fifty Two colon Futures End issue zero. Wow. The uh, the prologue slash first issue to the 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 new weekly book. Uh, my favorite part of it. So it's it's like takes place uh, twenty five years in the future, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Brother Eye has turned everyone into robots. Like he's he's through what can only be described as magic, turned everyone into robots. <laughs> I'm not joking. At one point, like they like his robots get a Green Lantern, mm-hmm. and they literally they're like, "We will turn you to robot," and they like just seem to like shoot something at his ring, and then all of a sudden he's a robot. <laughs> Like, really, it's magic. It makes no sense. Wow. Um. Anyway, what I was saying... Can you hear the dog sound, by the way? 
Now I can, but at first I could. I, I couldn't, which was practically a first for the show. That's hilarious. Uh, and also horrible, but hilarious, because I know they're part just because Kate's been like, yeah, I'm going to put you in this room for a second. And they're like, we're howling. Anyway, um, the best part of the comic is, so they've turned John Constantine into a robot, and he's still smoking a cigarette. <laughs> I love that. It's so hilariously stupid. Oh, that, is, that, sounds, that sounds mighty dumb. Uh, who's trying it? Uh, oh, everyone. Oh, okay. Uh, it's Ethan Van Skyver and Aaron Lepresti and Dan Jurgens and Patrick Zerker. Mm. And let me just say, all those artists, their style definitely goes together really Oh, yeah, it does, not it? Really. I've got to tell you, it's not like you're seeing an entirely different style every two pages. No. <laughs> and it's not like they break up sensibly either. Mm-hmm. Like, Jurgens will draw, like, page one of a scene, and then Zerker will draw page two. Yeah. Yeah, I can only imagine how that all came together. Um, anyway, it's it's a it's a completely competent, but nothing more than competent opener. Okay, but that still seems that's their free comic book day book then. That's, that's their free comic book day book. And, and Marvel went with Guardians of the Galaxy as opposed to Original Sin, huh? Uh, they went yeah, when Guardians of the Galaxy, and the backup is uh, Spider Verse prologue. Yeah, the Spider Verse prologue. Um, and but they uh, so the Marvel and DC also do both. They do two books each. So uh, DC's other is a reprint of Teen Titans Go issue one, and Marvel's other is Rocket Raccoon, an original Rocket Raccoon. Ah, uh, right. Huh? Because uh, they're there. Marvel is going all in on Guardians of the Galaxy. Seriously, that's what it sounds like. Um, uh, so you know, I really hope it doesn't flop for their sakes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's, it's kind of amazing because if you think about it, in the movie comes out in what August? So July, they have Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. They have the 100th anniversary Guardians of the Galaxy special. They have another Guardians of the Galaxy one shot, and they have the launch of both Rocket Raccoon and Star Lord as ongoing series. Wow, man! So they really are going all in in this film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll see what happens. You know, one of the things that I think is interesting is I do realize that uh, Guardians of the Galaxy comparatively, I mean, compared to all their other heroes that they've done, have had relatively few books, you know, in the course of their lifespan. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, if you're talking about the current Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. They only came about in like 2009. Right. So, I mean, wait, isn't it farther back? Didn't they come out of the, one of the Annihilation things? I, I, yeah, I'll, I should it, take it Wasn't back. Annihilation like 2008? I don't think so, man. I, I think hey, it's earlier. Hey, I might, yeah, I might be getting my dates horribly. Because <laughs> I'm like, I, I half want to say uh, that I was working uh, at the comic no, you're, book store. No, you're totally right because yeah. the hardcover came out in 2008. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I guess it's got to be way before that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Annihilation mm-hmm. was 2006. Yeah, that that makes that that sounds a little more like the numbers I was thinking. But um but still, you know, compared to Thor, Captain America, Spider-Man, X-Men, you know what I mean? It really does seem to me that the idea that um un unlike the situations with those characters where let's say someone gets inspired to walk into a comic book store, And say, like, hey, I want to read... I was very excited by Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, where do I start? And just being scared off by, you know, an entire shelf of books. And it's not even like they can get the quote-unquote whole story or something like that. Oh, you 
definitely could get mm-hmm. a whole story for Guardians of the Galaxy in like four books. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So part of me is kind of like maybe like on on the one hand I can I understand they're doubling down on those books and it sort of seems like Marvel corporate movie tie-in strategy 101, but there is part of me where it's like it almost could work this time. Like, I don't really know if it will or won't, or I, I don't think so. But, you know, I, for someone like me, who's always maintained that, that part of the appeal of something like Walking Dead is the fact that someone can walk into the store and get a finite number of books that will bring them entirely up to speed. Um, you know, I, I think that that is inc- possibly could really work in Marvel's advantage but sort of, I mean, you know, I, I say all that, but looking at the sales numbers, hopefully that means that they've got, you know, a bookstore rep that actually knows what they're doing, you know, because <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. That, that'll work. Um, the worry <laughs> is if people, if newcomers come in and say, I want all of the guardians of the galaxy comics, right? Not just the, well, do you want the 1960s version or do you want the current version? Right. Right. Uh, but also, Say they're like, no, I just want the, the team that's in the comics. Give me all of their the team that's in the movie. Give me all of their comics. Mm-hmm. You have the the still unexplained uh, Abner and Lanning killed off Star Lord, and then he was alive again. Plot, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which might throw people off. Eh, it it might. It takes a while to get there. I I think that it's just. Um... I don't know, but I, I, I definitely agree. Let's put it that way. Cause there is a lot of stuff. I, I'm not exactly sure cause I didn't follow Bendis's Guardians to know how closely it tied into, you know, even just Abnett and Lanning's run, you know? Um, uh, it, it, it sounds snarky to say it doesn't, but it kind of doesn't. Yeah. That's kind of the impression that I uh, got. Which of. in one sense is really smart because mm-hmm. then you can just say, I mean, you really can start fresh with, the first collection of Bendis is drawn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, I hope actually that retailers who are faced with people who say, I've just seen the film and I'd like to read more, just say, this is the first volume of the current series. It's all you really need to know. Yeah. Just start because, here. because yeah. it is mm-hmm. like, exactly. You're, you can start there. It's fine. Iron Man's in there to give you a bit of grounding. Mm-hmm. Great. Mm-hmm. Um, you, I think you then hit a bit of a steep, speed bump when you're like, and then it crosses over to X-Men in volume four. Right. And also, you've got the Angela issues in Volume Two, and those mm-hmm. are are. Yeah, ha, ha. <laughs> I oh, I read I read them the other day on on Marvel Unlimited. Mm, mm-hmm. Um, and they are they're not good, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they're also not good because they don't really feel like they go anywhere within the series itself. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, right? Like, feels like series is going one place, and then it's like, and here's Angela, and she takes up like three issues or two issues. Right. Uh, for no reason whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, then like, okay, so that was a big deal. And you're like, is it a big deal? Like, what What happened? And right. Like, she just, she'd appeared. Okay. Just, you know, maybe, maybe she's from heaven. <laughs> and of course, now, now she's from Asgard. Right. Yeah, I kind of... Nothing says well thought through than retconning a character who only came into your universe a year ago. Well, we'll see what happens. I mean, for... I, what, I want to believe the best. It's Al yeah. Ewing and Jason Aaron, you know? Right. Like, if anyone can make it work as those two, right. I I just have this whole... Really? Like, I, why didn't you do that first, I guess? Well, I'm kind of half hoping that it's a swerve, 
honestly, we'll we'll see. I sort of half hope that it's like this is the way that we're presenting this character. You know what I mean? Like, oh, tune in and see that this is the retcon, and then you you find out that it's going to be something different. So, so the the Gil and Iron Man, then. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Which Cause... still, I think, is, was spectacular. <laughs> like, really, really well played, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. smartly done. Like, right. just great. It, it, it was one of those things where you can tell that the writer and the editor and the publicity people are all very aware of their audience. Exactly. Exactly. Which was great. It was really well played. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm not sure if that's going to be the case here. Yeah, in part because it's, it's the whole original sin thing, not that everything you see is truth. Like, it feels weird to be like, here's this retcon that you didn't know about that they've all just discovered because now everyone's finding out the truth and that then turns out to be a fake out. Like, that feels weirdly convoluted. Well, and it might not be. I just, um, for me, it was just when I saw that, you know, quote-unquote revelation, part of me was like, huh, it seems mighty fast on the heels of fear itself to break out, like, another lost Asgardian, you know? Although maybe that is, maybe that's part of the, maybe that's part of where the fake-out goes on. I don't. I don't know. I didn't know about the whole truth telling. Is that tied into the well, eyeballs angle of yeah, the, yeah. The, I think the idea is that with the eyeballs, everyone gets, everyone basically can see everything that the watcher has seen, which mm-hmm. is the truth, because mm-hmm. the watcher sees everything, and mm-hmm. that's how they all find out about all these retcons. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I mean, my whole thing is is like, but didn't the watcher just spend as much time watching? Multiple, like alternate realities. Yeah, alternate I, timelines. I, I say that's. I would say that's relatively retconned out, and now there's different watchers. Because don't forget, there's the race of watchers now. Yes. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But he was, it. He was that watcher, or did they sort of change it up and be like, no, no, no? I, that was. I, I really am not sure where they, where they stand on watchers these days. Right. Because I mean, they're still doing their what if storylines. So you know, part of me is like, yeah, but the what if storylines aren't watcher led anymore, are they? I, I don't know. It's been so long I since I bothered so. to pick them I, up. I, I think it's just they happen. Really? Uh, it could be. I mean, I do remember, in fact, thanks to the Miracle of the Marvel Unlimited app, I remember kind of liking the Christos Gage did some sort of House of M follow-up that was like Heroes for Hire. Do you remember that? It was, it was like... It, it, it was like Luke Cage and the Daughters of the Dragon. And... Yeah, yeah, I, I, it was. Yeah, I totally remember that. It was. It was like was it not House of M Civil War? Was it not? Maybe, maybe it was. Maybe it was. But I remember being like, "Huh, this is kind of a weird." Uh, yeah, I bet that was it. Anyway, I I just saw like one or two issues like on the stands. Never bought it, or maybe I bought one issue. But I was like, not bad. Like Chris trying to check out some of Christos Gage's work, having liked as much of it as I have while reading, very, having people send Marvel books to me, is one of those, like, like I've got, I've, I'm really working up a nice little to-do list for the Marvel Unlimited app, and uh, that's... Ha, that's have you read his Avengers Academy yet? I have not, which I heard good things about, and... Yeah, I, I, I would add my voice to the good things. Yeah, and I think I told you, I read the... Somebody sent me that really great Avengers, maybe it was an Avengers Academy annual, about the vision that was just really yeah. well done. That was great. I have to say, I read that and I didn't I didn't get it, Jeff. Really? Like, I, I enjoyed it, but I didn't think it was as great as you thought it was. Wow. Wow. Interesting. 
Um, You know, as I recall, because, of course, that was a a few years back, the two things that I liked about it were, A, that the vision was a – he finally read a little bit more like the vision, I suppose. I mean – I had seen the things that Bendis had done with a couple of like, you know, even Avenger can cry again kind of thing. I, I This one, the vision is basically upset and pissed in a, in a way that he can't altogether process about the way that the Avengers have used him, discarded him and sort of reassembled him. And he ends up running into, he ends up fighting a former Stark employee turned bad guy, and I do not remember which bad guy it is. I want to say it's, you know, um, something like, it's not Whiplash or the Living Laser. But I was going to say, is it the Living Laser? It might be the Living Laser if both of us went there. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe it is. And um, so it's basically these two forms of kind of disgruntled, Worker. I mean, it's very much the subtext is, and I, I and I don't know. Reading it, I not knowing a damn thing about Christos Gage, it read like this brilliant complaint about work for hire. You know, I I, I genuinely, with the best of intentions, think that you're massively reading into it. Well, could be. I I probably really could, but you know, because it it was one of those situations where I didn't know what he was like. If he had been pulled from a bunch of stuff and was just, you know, I, I think he's still doing Marvel books or maybe I'm mistaken. Maybe he's moved over to the others to, you know, doing stuff for Valiant and Dynamite and what have you. But at the time, it felt pretty like it, it felt like the classic unhappy poison love letter, you know, issues of the past that I adore so much from my, from my Marvel I, creators. I want to say he might still be doing some Marvel stuff. He's definitely doing, uh, Buffy now over Dark Horse. Oh, right. In fact, and, right. And he did Angel and Faith last, uh, yeah. the last series, which was really good. And I'm really happy to see that he and, oh God, I've forgotten the artist's name. Who, who draws Angels of Faith and now draws, it's the one who I always think is Fiona Staples, except she's not. Come on, oh, Jeff. Mm, Don't let me down. Uh, Rebecca Isaacs. Oh, of course. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm so glad that those two are on the main Buffy title now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, 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 I was a big fan of Angel and Faith when they were doing it. Well, I was about to say, I knew that you were a fan of Angel and Faith. Um, so, yeah, part of me is like, of course, I jumped over there to try and... He's got a great Wikipedia thing, but I cannot figure out for the life of me where he's at now. I, I really feel like it's the... Um, I'm like, where's his damn website? You know, maybe he doesn't have one. Maybe he doesn't have. Maybe that's it. Wow. Who wouldn't? Who no, wouldn't have? A... What? Are you looking? No, I'm not even looking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going. Like, what? What? That's incredible. No. What are you it... talking about? Anyway. <clears throat> oh my God. Christmas Cage's work. I'm looking forward to it. Um, Angela. Unsurprising that it's going to, you know, that that it looks like it's shaping up to be kind of a sloppy retcon. Part of me is like, eh, I suppose that kind of makes sense. Kind of s- s- sucks, you know what I mean? Like, I, well, I, what you, really, what are you going to do with Angela? What do you? How do you solve a problem like Maria? <laughs> 
why did I know you were going there? That's really sad. I guess listeners, this is this is why where the the podcast road is ending at one fifty. I guess. Oh, I have to tell you, it's it's very very warm in Portland today. Uh, oh we're yes, in, we're in the middle of of a heat wave, and I believe San Francisco is as well, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, and I almost started this podcast with a rendition of Heatwave from the film White Christmas <laughs> from Wallace and Davis. But in part because that song's been in my head all fucking day. Uh, but also I was like, come on, Jeff, Jeff may never have seen White Christmas. I would not be surprised if you've never seen the film White Christmas. I've never seen the film White Christmas, yeah. First of all, Heathen. Yes. It's a spectacular film. Come mm-hmm. on. And you've mm-hmm. got the, the, the woman who had the, the bulimian has to wear high necks because of her neck. Anyway. What are you saying about my wife? What? What are you doing? <laughs> no, there is, uh, not Rosemary Clooney, the other, uh, Vera Ellen. The actress had, uh, an eating disorder. And because of that, she had a really, like, horrendously wrinkled neck. And throughout the entire film, in every single scene, they cover her neck up. No matter what anyone else is wearing, no matter what the scene is, she's either wearing a scarf or she's wearing something that's got a really high collar. Wow. Wow, uh, Graham. Because they're like, let's not freak out the audience with something real, because, hey, we're, we're doing quite Christmas here. And so, no matter what, they're like, you know, everyone else is in swimming costume? That's okay. She'll be wearing a swimming costume and a big fuck-off scarf. <laughs> Like, they're that unsubtle. It's, it's amazing. Huh. Uh, and it's one of those things that, like, once you hear, then the next time you see the film, you're like, she really is. She really is wearing, like, something covering her neck the entire this film. Is, this is amazing. I can't, I don't know whether to thank you for ruining White Christmas for me or curse you. It's such a great film. Sure. Jeff, yeah. it's such a great film. Oh, just just for the four part harmonies and snow alone, Jeff. That's all I'm saying. Graham, um, anyway, sorry, ta- ladies and gentlemen, for those who have written in, Graham McMillan is not a robot. He actually does exist as a human being. He's not a robot pranking us with his like that phrase alone. That's like that's just Graham McMillan gold right there. That should be carved into a plaque <laughs> and sent to you. Ah, uh, reason number seven why we should be stopping this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, Graham, uh, I, I, never. Reason number one: the fact that we were like, "There's so much to talk about." And we haven't talked about any. We, of it we yet. really, we we, uh, we sort of did. Free Comic Book Day is kind of that's important. That's a thing that will be in the past by the time people hear okay, it. But you let's know. let's just throw things at each other. Amazon cutting off um i iOS purchases. Jeff, yes, go. Uh, okay. Um, uh, people are going to be incredibly bored by my take on it, which is that I think maybe seven or eight months ago, maybe as, as far back as a year, I purposely stopped, um, purchasing from the OS because I kind of didn't want to get, I think it was, it was around the time that, uh, Jim Zub wrote his series of articles about, the monies that that he sees for print and for digital. And one of the things that he mentioned in the article at the time was the fact that buying through the um, app meant that 30% of the Bula went to Apple. And when the purchase was made directly through the website, the money was split between Comixology and the publisher slash artist. So instead of 
Comixology taking 30%, Apple taking 30%, and 40% going to the, the creator, uh, the numbers, you know, yanked up much higher. That being said, um, I continued to use the Comixology uh, app every Wednesday to be able to browse new comics because the Comixology website is terrible for browsing. It is... I think kind of a shithole. The fact that you have to, there is no way that, you know, there's other websites where you can say like, Oh, I want 50 results per page or a hundred or 200 or something like that. When you're, when you're shopping that I find incredibly useful because having to scroll through 20 screens, you know, relatively small screens of like maybe 20 books ago, uh, was just not frying my burger. So I used, you know, the two systems in tandem having at first I was like, oh, okay, so they're going to take out the comiXology. They're just going to take out the, the buy, the purchasing buttons, but they'll leave the shop in there. Right. You know, cause they've, they've already got everything designed to, I'm sure it's just a one button kind of push sort of situation, but they have not. And browsing in the new comiXology app is a terrible experience. I have a shit ton of books, and as far as I can tell, the purchases all transferred fine. I don't know. I just test downloaded a, a, a Bob Haney Brave and the Bold and read it. I was like, oh, this is so great. But like when it came time to, I'm like, okay, but let's search on how do you look and see what's on there? It just didn't seem like there was anything. Like um, Matt Turrell tipped me to a way in which you like – could search on a specific book and then using the inline links for that, you could see like, say everything that Brian K. Vaughn had done or something, but, but it's, a, it's, it's kind of, it's real slop. So I think that it is, I'm, I'm not as insane with vitriol as I feel like a lot of other people on the net are, which is funny considering I would say that digital is a big chunk of my comics browsing, perusing, shopping these days. Um, but maybe a combination of between getting the Marvel app and my 2000 AD subscriptions, like I have a lot of steady content now that sort of comes in. And so part of me is like, ah, you know, now that I'm not buying Batman 66, now that they're not reprinting the commandies, like, is it really, you know, is it going to kill me? Like, that's my own selfish reaction. The, the non-selfish reaction is... Um, I really think that it's an enormous disaster for Comixology, and I'll be curious to see how they, what they end up doing. You know, if they if they really have a way to um, save it so that everyone's like, oh, okay, we're not incredibly pissed off and and you know, disenchanted with your su- with your subject. You know, mm-hmm. so I, I'm. Uh amused and fascinated by the timing Mm -hmm. of the email. It went out on a Saturday during a comic book convention, Mm -hmm. which feels like the greatest attempt to try and just make it happen really quietly as, as you can get away with. Right. Right. Like it was Saturday afternoon Mm -hmm. in the middle of C2E2. Right. Which was like, are you just hoping that everyone's going to be looking somewhere else? Right. Uh, from a, you know, a selfish reaction for me. I, I use Kindle. Screw you guys. Right. Uh, I, but also, I I generally tend to buy on the website as well. Mm-hmm. Not because I, you know, I don't want someone to get my 30%, but 
but because I'm fairly sure that Amazon takes 30% as well, or, or will be taking a percentage at least. Yeah. Um, but because you can add things to the shopping cart, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is, you know, a minor thing, but for some reason it's very important to me. No, I'm, I'm just like, no, I'm I, I really like that I have a shopping cart and I can actually yeah. just add things to it. That's, that's great. Like that, that's what I want to do. Yeah. Um, it feels, feels really bad for comicsology. Yes. It, it feels very, uh, very much like something that's been forced on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think comes across not only in the timing of the announcement, but also the fact that really quickly they were like, and here are the workarounds if you're an iOS user. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Like, it felt like they were apologizing super quickly. Yeah. Like, they, they knew they were going to get hate mail for us. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, which, again, makes it feel like it wasn't their choice. Mm-hmm. And also, if... Uh, who was it? It was Alison Baker. Alison Baker on, on the Comics Alliance podcast just outright stated the majority of Comicsology sales come through Apple. Mm, mm-hmm. She and, would know, right, with monkey brain. Yeah, and so to to basically, you know, at best, give a fuck you to that market right. and make it more difficult to buy things. Yeah. Uh, feels like the dumbest decision in the world. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it. it really is a... It's just, it's just a huge. There's so many ways they could have done it. I, I, well, I don't know about. But are there? Are there? Yeah. Well, well, how? What are the other ways they could have done it? So it's quite clear that Amazon is like, well, now that you're an Amazon company, you're not selling things through Apple anymore. Right. Yeah, but I mean, and even Comicsology's own statements basically put all the blame on Amazon, which was hilarious. Did they? Oh, I thought... Chip, I th- Chip, Chip Osher did lots and lots of uh, interviews where he basically gave the same... I, I don't know if he gave lots of interviews. Definitely these same statements showed up all over the place, uh-huh. which was essentially, we're coming in line with Amazon's successful Kindle program. Yes, but he also made it sound like it was a decision they did on their own before the transition to bring it in line. Like I, what did I? Was I mistaken on that? Because one I statement I, saw I definitely didn't. See, I definitely didn't see that. Made it sound like no, Amazon didn't make us do this. We did this because we knew we were going to be, you know, we we wanted to like align ourselves uh, more compatibly. See, and, p- part of me thinks if that's true, mm-hmm. then they're morons, and I don't think anyone in comicsology is a moron. No, no, I I agree. I just I also think that there's I, I just think well. So anyway, to step back, I think if they left the um, they could have had the shopping set up, you know, so that it, instead of an actual buy button, there's a wish list button. You know what I mean? Then you mm-hmm. can like go to the website, you know, or even part of me was like, what's to stop you from like clicking a wish list button that you know sends essentially an email with a purchase link, you know, so that you basically, you jump from there to, you know, your mail program. That that feels, uh, I think Apple might have trouble with that. Sure. But I feel that, I feel that it's very definitely making an end run. I feel that's just as close to putting a button on there. that says buy. And then when you click that button, it opens up the web link. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that it could Apple be, and would, Apple would not Apple be happy with justifiably that. be like, "Come on, you're just taking the piss now." Yeah, but well, part of me is also like, "Eh, give it a go." You know what I mean? Like, put up a fight, like see where those boundaries are and change them. Because I feel like this is this is well, really 
Mm. But say you're going to put up a fight right now. Apple has nothing to lose in this. Yes, but if you... Because they know they're losing their 30% one way or the other. Well, yeah, exactly. I, my thing is, is like, they know they're going to lose their 30%, but it's also... It's 30% that they have, that they get for not doing much more than basically rubber stamping and approving sure, books. But it's gone. Do you see what I mean? Like, why, what reason does Apple have to not piss right. off Comixology? Well, I, 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 my, my personal feeling is, is that like Comixology could have done that, then Apple could have countered, and I don't know, you know what I mean? There's no, there's no negotiation going on here, which makes sense, because it's like Apple doesn't negotiate and Amazon doesn't really either. So, I don't know. I think, I, I, part of me wonders if they were like, they made the jump and the comicsology like made this decision now while things are still early enough so that all of us can be outraged, but there's not a lot of other places for us to go. You know, I mean, I, yeah. there are, well, there that, are people can yeah, shop in the Marvel app or the DC app or the boom app or the, or go to sequential or, you know what I mean? But, you know, in terms of actually making the purchases, in app, there's just that you know, there's no Comicsology is kind of still the 900 pound gorilla, and that may not be the case in a year or so. They might be competing very avidly against a number of publishers. Ooh, that's just it. Yeah, but here's the thing: everyone's talking about the publishers could go it alone. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure they can. I mean, sure they can. Of course mm-hmm. they can. Right. But I don't know how successful that would be because you think about Dark Horse who've been going out alone all the time. Right. And for one of our better way of putting it, that's just put them out in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't think they've necessarily gained anything. Or uh, that's not true. I don't think they've gained a market that they wouldn't have had through comicsology. And I think that they've lost a market that they otherwise would have had. This could be. This could be. I, I mean, I'm not as familiar with the numbers. They've continued to keep doing it. Uh, it also seems to me, as far as I can tell, there's not necessarily – their app – whenever I mention on the podcast that I use the Dark Horse app, and to be fair, I have not used it in a while. I think the last time was um, – I purchased and read some to Tulo, I think, around the end of last year. And this was with, you know, a smoking new – you know, maxed out iPad that still has saw an unreasonably high number of app crashes in the dark horse. The dark horse app is not, is far from flawless. And I can't really say that they've seemed to have dumped a lot of money into revising and streamlining it, you know? Well, to be cynical, how much money does dark horse have to dump into the, how much money does dark horse have? Full stop. Right. Well, that is that is the big mystical question, isn't it? So, you know, I am. They've had a lot of money move in, <laughs> and I suspect they've had a lot of movie money move out. You know, um, have they had a lot of money move in? Yeah, I think so. I, if you look at the the money, there's there's the Hollywood money. You know, they had. The Holly, but the wait, the Hollywood money from what? Uh, Hellboy one, Hellboy two. Um, which was how long like that's a long time ago dude i'm saying money moved in graham and i'm saying money moved out i didn't yeah, say but when but saying, i mean you're I, I, you, you're of- saying did money move in yes when right. 
Hellboy one and two. That was a long time ago. Not the point. Thing. Like not the point. It was a decade ago. Yeah. And if they turned around and bought all of, bought Apple stock with that money, Graham, they could buy you and me. So I'm you know, I'm <laughs> sure they spent it on dumb things. I don't doubt that the, you know, oh, there's they, they definitely did. They probably mm-hmm. spent on gold key license that went nowhere exactly exactly and and printing them out in like marvel masterwork format for nobody to purchase you know and that's and then they probably turned around and were like ah we've got to rebuild comics greatest world again you know there's there were lots of dumb choices there were also there's also comics greatest worlds jeff right Exactly. But, you know, I, I got the – there was certainly a point, and it wasn't too long ago, where they made, I think, a shit ton of money off the Buffy books. They may still, but I think that Buffy season reboot, season eight launch, got a lot of coverage. And at least when I saw it in the store, there were a lot of people coming in. Now – I'll give you that. I think season eight did really well for them. But I think season eight also might have been the last big hit Dark Horses had, if we're being completely honest. It very well might be. Very well, might be, you know. Um, I I don't know. So I mean, all I'm saying is, is like they've been they're they're not super bolstered, but you know, I'm just saying, it's it's not like they have forever toiled under, you know, just barely getting by. You know what I mean? I think that there have been they've gotten a couple of really big paydays. Like you said, they've those paydays have never have been few, and they've they've not been especially <laughs> close together. But those, those paydays have been few, not close together, and historically followed by them doing something like gold key. <laughs> yeah, no, and I know, and exactly, and they do something dumb in the in the background. All I'm saying is is that I don't think it's entirely impossible. You can't look at Dark Horse and be like, well, they don't have. It's not like they're entirely out of money, you know. It just that might be the story that we're saving for next year, you know, or whenever it is that Marvel takes the Star Wars license, you know. Yeah, that's got to be really soon, huh? Yeah, I think so, isn't it? So the end of this year is that how it works? Yeah, or... I think it is. I think it's the end of this year. Yeah. So, but don't forget, also since we last recorded, uh, all the expanded universe stuff no longer counts according to Lucasfilm. Right. Well, of course it. I mean, I'm like, hello. Of course they were going to say that, and part of me is like, ah. I, I, you know, it's like, so Star Wars gets the reboot that just about everyone except Marvel Comics has now had. And Marvel Comics is just, they just, they just lie and change things around, you know? But, so yeah, Star Wars, the expanded universe. I mean, I really, I mean, I wasn't surprised by that announcement, were you? Oh, not in the slightest. Yeah. No, I mean, you knew it was coming. And mm-hmm. the other thing is, it's not really reboots, because let's be honest, how many people really paid attention to the Expanded Universe, which itself was horrifically contradictory? Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. I mean, that that was my thing, is, is it was never like a well-polished machine. I think, I think they... Um, I, think, I think they did things over time that sort of, you know, got... They did a good job of eventually streamlining it to where, at least from my eye, it looks like it mostly all fits together. But, I mean, who knows? I just, I can't even imagine. I mean, I don't know. I I just have such that, like, you know, Star, Star Wars whatever has been kind of my, was just, <laughs> as you know, because I think you and I talked about it. It's just not, it's not. 
it's it's my my love affair like sort of pretty much died off at exactly the right time and you know it totally twisty tied so, itself. You're not even you're not you have no opinions about the new casting. Oh, my opinions about the new casting is I would love to see those people in a good movie. You know, <laughs> you know seriously. I, uh, you know it was great. On so when did that news come out? Wednesday, Tuesday? I think Tuesday. It was Tuesday because um, I was at work. So I find out because I get an email. Mm-hmm. I'm having breakfast and I get an email from Hollywood Reporter and I'm like, okay, you've got to do a response piece to it. And I didn't know what they were talking about. Because <laughs> these, these, they gave me a link and the link didn't sit, have anything in it. It was right. like, here's a link, do a response piece. And I was like, uh, okay, I guess I should have a response to this. And I clicked on the guy's like, I don't really have a response. Right. Like, it's a bunch of people who are in a film that you know nothing about. And right. also, let's face it, it's kind of actor-proof. Well, yeah. I mean... No, it is. Star Wars is pretty much actor-proof. Well, I, I guess that's part of why I don't... That's part of why my whole thing is, is like, I don't care. It's like, actor-proof sort of makes it sound like the actor's would, you know, actively do damage to it. And I sort of feel like, I feel like it's a different kind of... Star Wars is not rise or fall on the acting. Yeah. It should. It should, exactly. You have good actors and a good script. Star Wars is much better than than otherwise. Well, but this like, is my you could thing. Def- you could definitely point to a good Star Wars and a bad Star Wars. Yeah, but I mean, that's that's what I think is the beauty of star wars is that uh such as it is is that um if you have good actors i forget you haven't seen party down have you i have seen party down yeah oh my god i love party down so much Edie and i because for whatever reason we were trying to youtube the opening to thank god it's friday um and arguing about whether it was steve gutenberg or jeff goldblum um in it we were talking about that amazing Party Down episode where the caterers go to Steve Gutenberg's house and mm. they end up staging a reading of the science fiction script that uh, Roman, uh, one of the caterers and his co-writer, um, whose name skips me, I think it's Christopher Mintz-Plass, uh, have worked on together. And what's hilarious about it is... The script that, so they do the reading because it's, these are caterers who are actors, you know, everyone's like, oh, this will be great. I'll do this. The acting, the, the first half is, first part of the reading is unbelievably turgid and awful. And what happens is Steve Gutenberg takes the writers aside to give them notes about how to make this stuff actually resonate with an audience. And the thing that I think is brilliant about this episode is meanwhile, Two of the actors played by the amazing Adam Scott and the also pretty amazing, why am I blocking on her name? Lizzie Kaplan? Thank you. It's, I'm just like, it's so scary. I'm like, I can identify, I can totally describe what she looks like in a bikini because of that one hot tub episode, the ending with the hot tub, but I cannot tell you, come think <laughs> oh, of the name. Jeff, That's really? just being old. That is not being sexist. That is just being old. That is Jeff, the sad Jeff, fact. Jeff. Yes. Really? You're honestly trying to argue, I can tell you what she looks like in a bikini because of that one scene is not sexist, and it's really just because of old, she's in other clothes for the rest of the season. It didn't be like, I can tell you what she wear, what she's like when she's in, like, nice, smart catering clothes. Oh, I can tell you about that too, yeah, absolutely. I know, all I'm saying is, the fact that you went for the bikini, first of all, I don't think you can really just argue it away with, no really, I'm just old. <laughs> 
my mind just went to the hot tub. My <laughs> mind, my mind went to the hot tub because I am lecherous. But ah, okay, thank you. That's yeah. Enough. But the fact that I could not think of her name, despite the, did you know she was in a, a relationship with Matthew Perry for like four years? No, but pleasure for even asking that question. Lizzie Kaplan. Oh, yeah. You're like, dude, like, you're like, oh, please. Why would I know that? Thank you, plebeian. I, I just, you, I'm like, Look, my, my brain is full of lots of shit for lots of things, but who Matthew Perry is in a relationship with is not one of them. Okay. First off, Graham, you are, you, that is ridiculously offensive. If you think the reason why I cared about that was who Matthew Perry was in a relationship with. Hey, what was this? Like, go on, go on was a comedy classic. Come on, and then there was the one where he was the grumpy guy. Oh, come on, he, he's he's just done great work. You know, he's done perfectly fine work. I'm just saying, uh, what am I? Okay, somehow this has just turned into <laughs> Jeff's crush on Lizzie Kaplan shows that he's a bad person instead of it an does. old person who can't remember names anymore. It Lizzie does. Kaplan and Adam Scott, who are both great actors and are in the show caterers who are actors, basically decide they make a, they begin a competition to outact the shit out of the other person. So when the break comes back and Steve Gutenberg takes the two actors and they pass out their revised script pages, suddenly it is the most gripping, amazing piece of drama that, and, 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 you know, people are crying and it has everything to do with the fact that the two actors are actually acting the shit out of it. Not the terrible advice that Steve Gutenberg has given, which to be honest was not necessarily that terrible, but didn't really ever mean anything. All of which is to say star Wars. If you take out Harrison Ford as Han Solo in star Wars, a new hope that film and, and Alec Guinness, like that, it doesn't. Oh, no, let, let's be honest. Alec Guinness is there for the paycheck only. Oh, he's okay. For... I, if you're if you're arguing that Alec Guinness raises the acting level, I would argue that Alec Guinness is a spectacular actor and probably the best actor out of everyone in that film, but is not even close to bringing it. It's not even thinking about bringing it. In See, that that's film. the brilliant thing. He doesn't have to bring it. He he his Alec Guinness's autopilot is better than most people. Believe me, I, I watched... Autopilot versus Mark Hamill trying his best. It's, it's no contest. It is no fucking <laughs> contest. I mean, you know, I, I don't think that that's, that's telling any stories. Alec Guinness clearly showed up and was appalled that that was what he was going to be known for the, for the rest of his fucking life. And it was kind of like, well, that'll teach me. On the other hand, he he was great. I watched That's teach me as I count my money. Yeah, but I don't know, man. It's like it's like the Michael Caine thing. When Michael Caine shows up for the paycheck, most of the time he knows how to show up for the paycheck and make it look good. I saw Dracula, the 1978 production with Frank Langella and um that woman who had an incredibly brief career, Kate Nelligan. Uh, uh, sorry wow. a zenith of her incredibly brief uh, of an incredibly brief zenith of a very long career because she was in a lot of stuff before been a lot of stuff since frank langella her um somebody else who's incredibly i was like some young callow cad and and then a bunch of other people that don't matter and they get Lawrence olivier to show up and do van helsing and let me tell you 
Laurence Olivier needed to take lessons from Alec Guinness in how to show up for a paycheck because Laurence Olivier is like, okay, I don't care about any of this stuff. I, but I am a great actor. I am going to fling myself uh, into this with a terrifying abandon. Like seriously, like that's like, no. So anyway, Alec Guinness, Harrison for, Ford. For our listeners, Jeff. Yes. For you as well. You did you see the letters of notes entry with Alec Guinness's letters about Star Wars to his friend? Twenty second of December. Yes. I've been offered a movie, Twentieth Century Fox, which I may accept if they come up with proper money. London and North Africa starting in mid-March. Science fiction, which gives me pause, but it is to be directed by Paul Lucas, who did American Graffiti, which makes me feel I should. Big part, fairy tale rubbish, but could be interesting, perhaps. Mm-hmm. 18th of March. New rubbish dialogue reaches me every other day in wadges of pink paper, and none of it makes my character clear or even bearable. I just think, thankfully, of the lovely bread, which will help me keep going until next April, even if Yahoo collapses in a week. I must off to studio and work with a dwarf. Very sweet, and he has to wash in a bidet. And your fellow countryman Mark Hamill and Tennyson, that can't be right, Ford. Ellison? No. Well, a rangy language young man who's probably intelligent and amusing. But, oh God... God, they make me feel 90 and treat me as if I were 106. <laughs> oh, Harrison Ford. Have you ever heard of him? I love those letters so much. Those are awesome. But that doesn't... Uh, Graham, uh, okay, I'm not sure that you have proved my... You know, disproved my <laughs> no, point no, as no, much no, as no, proved I, my point. No, like, Alec Guinness, he was I, there for I, the paycheck. He was still better than everyone else. He didn't know their names. He didn't care to learn them. And he was still awesome. I have to work with the midgets. He has to wash in a bidet. The problem with Star Wars movies aren't that they're actor-proof. It's that each one has become more and more actor-resistant. You know what I mean? Like, I, I okay. I will. So, I completely agree. So the thing that kills me is like when there is a movie that's going to have um, Adam Driver and Oscar Isaac and uh, the guy from it's Attack the Block. And it, yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm just like. That is like I'm just like fuck. I will see. I I would I would gladly say that I would be there at day one if it wasn't for the fact that it was Star Wars. And I'm like, and especially JJ Abrams Star Wars. Come on, that's just precisely how great it's going to be. Oh man, Graham, you can't even say that with a straight face. That's no, just sad. I can't. My favorite thing about the whole thing was uh, so I wrote the, the piece for THR and I was like, well, look, it, it's mostly white and it's mostly male, and this yeah. is a disappointment basically for anyone. Yes. And I made the tweet later on the, that day as a joke that Disney were like, okay, we're not finished casting. Fuck you. There'll be lots of black people and women. And then Disney actually announced that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I thought that was great because people were like, wow, you're being really bitchy about that news. And I saw one straight back and be like, it wasn't news when I said it. <laughs> <laughs> I was joking. It's not my fault that they then went ahead and did it. That's right, Graham. That's right. It's, uh, who knows? Or maybe it is your fault. Maybe that's, maybe that's the thing. They were like, oh, this Graham McMillan guy's got a point. We gotta, gotta shore this up. It's better, but this might work. Yeah. I, but I, yeah, I'm sort of, you know, again, for me, I just really had that sense of like, just more women, you know, like you've got a couple of people of color there that's interesting, you know, I, you've got good actors in there for Christ's sakes. Just go that extra level. But the, the fact of the matter is, I don't know. I just, after, after Star Trek Into Darkness, I, 
<laughs> which was amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, bad. I have no faith in J.J. Abrams anymore. And he's, he, the first Star Trek episodes of Lost, like fucking Mission Impossible 3. Oh, I, I, you know? I, have some, I have some faith in him. Uh, mm-hmm. In part because I really like that novel that he wrote. Right. Uh, yes. Did yeah. Really right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and I'm very curious how much of Star Trek Into Darkness's complete suckage really came from the script as opposed to the direction. However, I'm super scared about Star Wars because Arndt was replaced by J.J. Abrams as screenwriter. Uh, wait, who was my, replaced? My, Michael Arndt was writing it uh. and, and was like, open about the fact that he was having trouble with it mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden they're like and he's out and jj abrams is writing it himself and it was yeah. just like oh shit yeah exactly so i just kind of have this thing of like they're they've got it fast tracked and for me fast track stuff usually i'm not sure it ever really comes together but again part of me is like eh, who cares like i'm like max von Sydow, oscar isaac adam driver still the guy whose name I can't remember you know it's like I would gladly see them in some kind of movie um, but once it turns out this to be a, kind of movie. right once it turns out to be a Star Wars movie I'm like oh fuck you know especially with the original cast in there I'm like uh, it's just going to be terrible I don't know and maybe it won't be but I mean I, part of me let's put it this way my best options are like um, terrible or indifferent I if there's a chance I cannot imagine any situation in which I walk out of that going that was the Star Wars movie that I always wanted to see because the That's miracle the film I've been waiting years yeah for. exactly exactly you know because I feel like Star Wars did the one of the things that's kind of brilliant about it is even if the Empire Strikes Back was not your cup of tea when it came out, I feel like as you grow up, you're like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like Empire Strikes Back is precisely the movie that it should have been. You know what I mean? And even then, it's, you know, it's okay. There's just parts of it that are really, really well done. But even then, I'm like, eh. I, there are characters here, I guess. You know, so I don't know. Star Wars, Comicsology, Amazon—it's all. We're just kind of getting to the stage where it's like. Wait, wait! I, I'm going. To, I'm going to keep throwing things at you. Oh, really? We got more. Justice, okay. Justice League movie. Oh, right, the Justice League movie. Right, did that. Are, do you do you have any reaction? No, I had no reaction. Yeah, that it's kind true. of funny, isn't it? Because I think everyone was like, well, of course they're making the Justice League movie. Right, like, exactly. Just, like, I think it was supposed to be big news, and everyone's like, yeah, okay. Right, right. Sure, go ahead and do that. Yeah, um, sure. Thanks for actually finally telling us. Yeah. The end. No, but that movie is not the Superman-Batman No, it's movie. coming year after, apparently. Right. That's not true. It's unofficially, or rather, officially unscheduled. Right. Uh, but everyone and their dog believes it's happening the next summer. Right. Interesting. So that the, they're basically shooting stuff for it while they put yeah, together they're, Batman. They're, yeah, Superman they're, they're doing back to back. Yeah. It's, it's the, it's the back to the future two and three, you know, has that ever worked for anyone by the way? I mean, there's, it's, it seems Lord like part of the rings you could argue. Oh yeah. I guess you're right. I guess that I'd is probably argue twilight as well. Right. But Twilight, did they do the second and third movies back to back? Or I thought they did the third I movie. Say, I want to say they might have done the third and fourth movies back to back because right. it was 
the same novel. Right. So it was just one thing and they just kept going. Yeah. That sort of makes a little more sense to me when you're working with a literary put your quotes wherever you want on that, you know, precedent. And I guess you're right to the, the Lord of the Rings did it correctly as well. But I, it's a general rule of thumb. Like when people sit down and they do the back to back sequels, it usually turns out to be disappoint. The movies end up being disappointing and rushed. And then the box office just drops, you know? Well, I'm super curious whether, uh, Man of Steel 2 slash Batman versus Superman slash Superman versus Batman slash who knows what the fuck it's going to be called right. uh, is really going to feel rushed because they pushed it back a year. Like, mm-hmm. I'm wondering if they pushed it back a year in order to make this happen. Right. Because right. they're starting shooting this year and it's not coming out for another two years. Right. Like, they have a lot of lead time there. Yeah. 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 Well, by today's accelerated schedule, yeah. So... I don't know, man. I, I, again, I was... I, I mean, if you think about the fact that... I want to say that uh, Man of Steel 2 is shoot, starting shooting like a month after Avengers 2 starts shooting. But literally comes out 12 months later. Right. Yeah, no, that's that's a big, that's a big sign. But to me, I'm sort of like... Um, uh, I always feel... I, I'm like, the difference is from... Pre-production and production and post-production, you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, we'll see how everything's, you know, (laughs) let's see if they can manage to bring all the finesse that they brought to the first Man of Steel movie, everything should be okay. But I'm having worries that they might not even be able to hit those levels, you know? Really? (laughs) I, I'm, I am, uh, I'm completely open to anything happening with Man Mm -hmm. of Steel 2. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I'm not even hopeful or pessimistic. I'm just like, that's a film that's happening. Right. That's I, kind of how I not, feel. It's not even like, yeah. uh, like Avengers 2. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just generally pessimistic about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. it looks like a train wreck waiting to happen. Uh, Avengers 2? Yeah. Why? Uh, I think there is going to be far too many characters and far too many moving parts and mm-hmm. nothing will, nothing will get serviced properly. I, I think it will be a lot of... Because here's the thing. I saw Captain America the Winter Soldier, and I liked it, like, enough, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I liked it all the way up until the epilogues, and it's basically all the epilogues are setting up, like, as the story's not over, true believer. Right. And I was just tired. And at that point, I was like, I'm done with all of this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, never mind your post-credit sequences with, oh, Luke, there's, uh, you know, Elizabeth Olsen, Olsen and Aaron Taylor-Johnson. Like, mm-hmm. I was really just like, I'm done. Mm-hmm. You can't, like, you can't even just pretend to let this film finish. Right. Yeah, no, I feel that's, I feel that's a big problem with franchise movies these days, and it's a, it's a huge problem with Marvel's movies. Like, there's just, most of them, I mean, that's the problem. I felt like most of them were too overstuffed, like, with, I'm trying to think where where that feeling. Interestingly enough, that may have ended up being with the non-Marvel produced films, but I because I well, like, no, yeah, it, it, it definitely everything as well. Avengers two makes me think of like the third X Men movie, right? The third X Men movie, which or was just a clusterfuck. Yeah, that amazing Spider Man movie from last year was or two years ago was so badly paced and put together. And apparently the second one that's coming out tomorrow is like that, but worse. See, and I just could tell. I could, I, just watching that trailer, I was like, well, part of it is it's like the same people and it was a huge hit, so why wouldn't they do it? But I really had that thing of like, oh, this it's, was It's kind awful. of crazy that 
you know, Spider-Man 2's trailer has three different villains in it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you're like, in what world does that seem like a good idea? Yeah. They you know, are. and so finding out that... So Avengers 2 has, for its villains, James Spader and Thomas... I can't remember his last name. I was going to call him Thomas he- uh, Henchman, and that's totally not his name. <laughs> uh, Heinrichman, maybe? Uh, as as Ultron and Baron von Strucker, right? Mm-hmm. For the quote-unquote good guys, you have Captain America, Thor, the Black Widow, the Hulk, mm-hmm. Iron Man, mm-hmm. uh, Hawkeye, mm-hmm. Nick Fury, mm-hmm. Scarlet Witch, and Quicksilver. And Quicksilver. That's and it. rumors that Paul Bettany is going to be the Vision. Oh, yeah. and yeah. No, actually, he said he is the Vision. You just don't know if he's a good guy or a bad guy. That's ten characters. Yeah. Let's say this film is half an hour, is, is two hours long. <laughs> See, okay? I think it's going to be three. I think it's going to be at well, least two and true. a half, I, probably three. But, uh, and it it'll still a, feel overstuffed and exactly. completely unsatisfying. It's yeah. nuts. Yeah. 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 It's crazy. And also, you know that it's going to service the Thanos plot. Mm-hmm. Right. Do you know what I mean? It's like, holy shit. <laughs> that's, that's ridiculous. I mean, yeah. it's like uh, X-Men Days of Future Past. Mm-hmm. Which I, I I I am exhausted just looking at all the promotion for. Oh yeah, because they're like everyone's in this film. <laughs> all I can think is I don't want to see everyone in one film. Right? No, I know. <laughs> I know. Like two different Magnetos and, Char- and Professor Xavier's is <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah. Well, see, and also you're like, and everyone plays a major part. No. Right. right. They don't have to. Yeah, no, I that was the thing that really amazed me were the number of people who like when the first couple of trailers came out and they're like, ah, no rogue, isn't there gonna shouldn't there be more rogue? And I was just like, for fuck's sake, people! Like it really was like just jam everyone in there. It's like this movie's it's, it's, got it's so funny when they're like and Blink and Bishop and you're really yeah. like. Who wants Blink in a film? I don't even believe the Blink fans want to see Blink in a film. <laughs> right. Well, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, boy. It's, it's just, yeah. Oi vey, that, that film looks like a disaster. But Avengers 2 looks like it's going exactly the same route. And right. you have all the people who are like, oh, but Joss Whedon. And you kind of want to be like, clearly you've forgotten Serenity. <laughs> Serenity was... Or Dollhouse. But, okay. Or... Yeah, I was about to say, I'm like, I was like, sorry, man, I think Serenity was relatively okay as a movie. Um, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, that's, that's not true. I think Serenity is relatively okay as a film. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't go more than relatively okay, but sure, <laughs> it's relatively okay. Well, I, I mean, in, in that my thing is really weird because I saw Serenity before I saw Firefly. You know, so, and I was like, oh, I can just come I'm in. I'm so and... curious. What did you think of Firefly after you saw Serenity then? I ended up liking Firefly a lot, actually. You know, I mean, my biggest problem, in fact, the thing that's interesting is I feel like for me, I would have liked Serenity much less if I'd watched Firefly first and gone into it. The The other weird part of that was... Seeing Serenity on the big screen, I felt like there were a number of characters who didn't translate well up there. You know what I mean? Like once, like Nathan Fillion seemed really stiff in Serenity on the big screen. Then you go back and see him in Firefly and it was like, oh, I get it. Like a lot of these people 
were, but you know, are good on the, on the small screen. And then on the big screen, like the only people who I really felt were able to carry anything off were like, you know, um, Alan Turdick and, um, what's his name? Uh, who plays Walsh? Is it Walsh? Mr. I'll be in my bunk. No, who's, who's the guy? Oh, who are you thinking about Adam Baldwin? Adam Baldwin. Yes. Alan Turdick, Adam Baldwin, both incredibly were great on there. And of course the bad guy's strong. Um, but, but it's, no, it's, it's, yeah, I, I think I, here's the thing. Sorrenti at least shows that Whedon was okay making some decisions as to not give each character equal time. Yes. Cause he, he pretty much like writes two characters off. Yes. Right you off know. the bat. Yeah. Just yeah. Very quickly. Screw this up. Yeah. Um, but he can't even do that in Avengers 2. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not like he will, he will you know, be able to kill any of the Avengers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I have, I have, as they say in Star Wars, a very bad feeling about this. <laughs> nice. Pulled that all together there. That's exactly. pretty excellent. Yep. Uh, what else should we be talking about, Jeff? Well, we could talk about, uh, depending on how much time we want to say that we have, maybe we should actually talk about comics that we've read, I suppose. Oh, go on then. <laughs> in, what have in, you been reading? Well, let me tell you. I've been reading, uh, thanks to, thanks to our good friend, uh, Lauren Davis. She lent me her copy of Very Casual by Michael DeForge, which is, brutal and amazing. As you know, I, I adored his ant colony while reading it uh, online. And at least one of these pieces, I think I've read online, maybe two of them. I think I read the first several pages of all about the spotting deer. Um, and that very long narrative about the people who get addicted to, um, littering who are parts of litter gangs. Um, but the rest of it I had, was new to me and horrifying and wonderful. Like, honestly, <laughs> I flipped through these Mostly pages. horrifying. Oh, totally. I turned these pages in what could only, what, what is best described as a state of, um, dread. You know, each page I was, I was all but flinchily like going to be like, Oh God, what, what, what is it now? You know, like amazing, like this, story about the this kid who like gets into the music scene and ends up you know um hooking up with these friends and hanging out with the the you know the biggest band local band in their town but of course the local big band in their town is just these like grotesque meat barbells basically they're just like they they have no arms they just have like various open wounds and fissures and occasionally mouths and of course they're like the biggest so everyone's just fawning over them and in each panel you just are like you can just feel your flesh creep looking at them so the forge is awesome it was so good i really enjoyed it for people who like horror um this is body horror. Yeah. I mean, the thing that's great about it is it's just not, it's not just body horror, although there's a lot of it. There's a, there's a great story called uh, Incinerator, which is about a guy who the middle of his body is a beagle, um, you know, and it's basically Snoopy, 
like drawn from behind, which makes things even all the more problematic. He ends up, you know, because he doesn't have any arms and he looks a little grotesque, um, you know, ends up, uh, hard on his, hard, hard on, hard down on his luck until, until a doctor, um, surgically removes the beagle part of his body and rushes it to a veterinarian. Um, and so he's, so the, the protagonist is just a head on a pair of legs for the majority of the rest of the story. And the only person who at all seems to understand him is the cat who he used to harass when he was half beagle. And so it's really a weird, poignant, sad story that is also just like hair curling like DeForge does all the hair curling is what I'm saying Graham don't it's not just horror it's it's you know horror tragedy slash horror comedy slash horror sexy times and then it's super horrifying um Rogue Trooper 3 Aquaman number 30 Batman Eternal 3 and 4 I don't have much talk to me about my Eternal 4 because I've I'm still getting comped all of those. Right. Like, I, I've I've been comped all the way through issue four, at least. Yeah. Um, and did issue four, I feel like, really weird to, because all of a sudden, it's Dustin Weaver, it's, no, Dustin, some, Dustin Gwynn doing the art. Yes. And it yeah. feels like a totally different book. Like, a totally yeah. different book. Yeah. A totally different book. And it, and it's weird. It's, that, I have, to, unfortunately, it was a book that I liked a lot less than I liked the first couple of issues, although the ending of Batman Eternal number three, uh, and spoilers, I guess, for p- people who haven't read it, when Commissioner Gordon is like, he he's removed from his position, and the guy who puts is put in his place is Mr. Like, yeah, now we got to hunt down the Batman. That's our biggest priority. Just hunt down. And I was like, really? You're going to go there? Like, that was the thing that really bummed me out, is that was such the... Um, like just kind of such a really cliched moment. The first couple of issues, part of what I loved was the idea of like, Oh, this is a weekly comic and we're going to see like, you know, the Gotham PD kind of and how they work and their different shifts in, in this sort of new 52, kind of the same way that, that, you know, Snyder was kind of able to take Frank Miller's greatest hits or the various greatest hits and rework them into his new 52 Batman. Part of me is like, yeah, I will read, uh, uh, you know, Scott Snyder led, you know, Gotham central, um, you know, wrapped in the wrapper of a, of a Batman comic. Um, and unfortunately that's the, those good times came to the end at issue three. And so issue four, I was just like, Ah, I, the art wasn't doing it for me as much. I know that some people seem to like it more than, uh, Jason Faybox work, but it just really, it did not. It, it's just so different. Like, yeah, really and well, and that's it. Bump. It's, yeah, it was kind of a like, wow, you guys didn't even really try to make this seem like any kind of real transition, did you? I mean, maybe you can't, but I mean, it just was. <laughs> can, can we also talk about, uh, John Lehman who scripts issue four? His uh, his way with names. Oh, please! Why? What did I miss? Did you notice this? Uh, when Batgirl is looking up who who did it, mm-hmm. uh, his identity is confirmed as Gonzalo Dominguez. On the very next page, you meet Agatha Zorbatos. <laughs> and then there's Hellzinger on the next page. 
Mm-hmm. I, I feel it's great because all of a sudden he's like, you know what? I'm going to add a little bit of diversity to the Batman cast. Right. But I'm going to do so with names that sound like they should be G.I. Joe toys from the 90s. <laughs> Agatha Zorbatos. Yeah, that's that's pretty amazing. Um, yeah, so uh, we'll see where things go. I have to say the first two issues and most of the third hooked me enough to where I'll be coming back. Uh, at least for another few. I haven't permanently signed on for it, but uh, I've really ended up liking the idea of having a Batman book um, a lot up until I-, I knew this would be a problem. I knew that, of course, they weren't going to be able to keep the same artist all the way through. But this was kind of, like you said, it's a really it was dramatic a switch. massive shift. Yeah. 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 So Here's the thing. So imagine that sort of switch. Different pages of the same comic, and you have the new fifty-two zero issue. The, the, oh, really? Um, the future, yeah. Oof, uh. It's not. It's not that dramatic. But if you consider how strong a stylist uh, Jurgens is, mm-hmm. and they just imagine putting him next to Ethan Van Skyver. Yes. Or, no. Or I mean that's Zarker, right. You know, right. like that's that's a, uh, you know the colorist does their best. God bless them. But it, right. it's 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 rough, and it's it's a shame because I think if you put Zerker next to J. Fabok, right. You, right. you would really, you might actually have something that would work together. Yeah, would I agree? I totally agree. Part of me was like, ah, this lineup is, you know, it's, 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 it didn't, it didn't start off necessarily to me on its strongest foot. There was a lot of stuff, a lot of weird storytelling gaffes in the first issue that made it unnecessarily confusing. And here in issue four, there is some storytelling that they just kind of mucked up because they were playing with two parallel timelines and then they bring them together at the end and you're like wait why is batman in the same room with the penguin now all of a sudden and it's like oh that's why they kept saying in the present two nights ago you know kind of thing it was it was a lot of work for very little pay that, that is that is really really oh god what comic was i reading i was reading oh it's um it's one of the free comic book comics and it's it's terrible really? uh the plot is this. There is uh, a special forces team. It's called Fubar, the Ace of Spades. Uh, <laughs> it's written by Chuck Dixon. And the plot is oh, there wow. is a special for- US special forces team that goes in to get Saddam Hussein, only to find out that Saddam Hussein's people have created zombies. It then <laughs> jumps forward, and the same team are going in to get Osama bin Laden, who they kill, and then comes back as a zombie. <laughs> like it's that bad, but what's hilarious is it just continually jumps back in time. Mm-hmm. Like it starts off and then it's like two weeks earlier, two nights mm-hmm. before that. Three yeah, I'm like Jesus Christ, people. Yeah, this is ridiculously convoluted. Yeah, yeah, it's it it again. It's one of those things that I just feel is very problematic with uh, with a lot of comics these days. It's kind of like, oh yeah, we got this, but how do we set up the structure and how do we sort of show that it's happening differently? I guess we can't. Okay, so we're screwed. Okay, well, that's fine. All right. You know, so. Um, I picked up Cross Badlands issues 50 through 52, which are the Garth Ennis uh, storyline that is um, about the sort of the patient zero of the crossed um, infections, the crossed event, or I guess suppose. And it's, uh, it's okay. As always, I don't know about Avatars. Mo- the majority of their artists, I think, are... Just like, I don't know, like kind of like, I just hope they got like full credit for their art class for like drawing the issues basically, um, more often than not. <laughs> but, um, 
you know, but on the other hand, I feel like I, I feel like Ennis is able to usually craft a story at some level that that will drag me in. I say that, and I totally skipped over that first issue of whatever his like Avatar science fiction book is. Um, is that the one with the dogs, Red Rover Charlie? No, Red Rover Charlie is uh, is another thing that I was like, oh my god, I didn't realize this was out. I would love to see. I would love to see Gar- Garth Ennis's attempt at doing a story about dogs, and that was one where I would. Were. I would love to see Garth Ennis's We Three. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Or right, <laughs> Milo and Otis. But I picked it up, and I was just like, "Oh, the art on this is really terrible." So that was one that I could not really take the jump on. And and honestly, I say that because I came across it when it was already five issues in or something. Maybe if it had been the first issue and I was like, oh, well, this art's terrible. I'll pick it up and see I'll where it goes. I'll stick with it. Right, yeah. exactly. Oh, comics. How how can I not love you? Um, speaking of which, <laughs> the Eltingville Club, uh, first issue of Evan Dorkin's return with the Eltingville comic book science it's, fiction. It's going to be great, isn't it? Club. I did three stores this week and in each one I've forgotten to buy it. Oh man, it is, it is great. It is, it is so unbelievably, like Evan Dorkin was discontented with the comic book industry long before like the 20 years ago. Yeah. So this is him <laughs> just at the top of his game. But honestly, I think his cartooning is fantastic here too. Like there's, um, his pages featuring the, the, the world's worst, um, comic book store clerk. Uh, comic book store owner. What's his name? Is it Bill? It's not. It's Joe. Joe is really incredibly well cartooned. Like seriously, there were parts where I was like, oh, this kind of reminds me of Crumb, weirdly enough. And I also found myself going like, I really wish that, that you know, Dorkin had had the chance to illustrate some American Splendor stories. Because I like looking at it, I'm like, oh yeah, these this style really lays up. He's got, he, he, He's figured out the perfect way to ink somebody with one eyebrow, you know, um, not using the eyebrow to ink, but inking the person's unibrow and, and making them utterly expressive. Just really good cartooning, um, an amazing job of hel- escalating the hilarious nightmarishness um, in which this comic book store more or less gets destroyed bit by bit. But but it's it's awesome. It's, in, it's almost unsurprisingly it's it's crazily depressing at the same time but um but i also thought that it was really it, funny it's an ever darken comic it's yeah. funny and yet also makes you feel just a little bit too misanthropic for your own good yeah well i think so or just i, I don't know there was just a variety of things where it was just i was like ah man comic book stores really aren't like this anymore and then there was there would be something that i'm like oh right that's just Ripped from the headlines yesterday. Yeah, exactly. You know, this is, this is exactly what somebody was talking about two days ago, you know, on Bleeding Cool or whatever. So, uh, The Fuse, issue three, still enjoying it. Lazarus, number eight, um, still enjoying it. Zero, number seven, uh, ditto. And Southern Bastards, which I enjoyed a lot, as you predicted that I would. Yeah, that was incredible. Southern Bastards is really, really good. Yeah, yeah. That, that was, um, pretty dynamite stuff. And then uh, Judge Dredd, Mega City 2, City of Courts. Uh, I liked the fourth issue. I don't know. It's kind of, um, there's stuff where I'm like, I don't necessarily know if um, if I'm like tracking the story or what's happening well 
Like, I, I don't I think I feel like I'm doing a very bad job of it. But Wolk and Farinas put so much energy on the page. Um, and, and it's all very intelligent that I'm able to forgive what I suspect are storytelling lapses rather than my lapses. But, but it could go either way, honestly. Um, so, uh, then remotely, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> this is great. I almost said like, I don't know if we're going to talk about, about the Avengers next time, but, uh, you know, I read up on Avengers, uh, 101 through 113 and then a various strange assortment of stuff through the Marvel Unlimited app. So, uh, I, I would run through what I've read in the last couple of days. Okay. Uh, because I've, I've been catching up with a lot of stuff, like literally since like Monday. And wow. then we'll talk about Avengers because I do want to talk about Avengers. Okay. Uh, I've been catching up on Valiant books. This oh. week, I've mostly been catching up on Valiant. Uh, Exo Man of War 2324, which are the preludes to Armor Hunters and reads very much like a prelude to a story. Mm. It's, it's fine. Like mm-hmm. at no point is Exo Man of War sort of crossover into bad, but right. it definitely feels like they're playing for time for the next big story. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eternal Warrior issues five through eight. Which mm-hmm. is uh, the last four issues of the series because it got, uh, I think it's officially on hiatus, but mm-hmm. that's, you know, polite hiatus, like, you know, your pets <laughs> went on hiatus when you were a small child. Um, but it's great. It's really good and it's so much stronger than the first four issues. Huh. Uh, it's Greg Pak doing the, uh, Eternal Warrior as basically one of the last surviving humans in 4001. Hmm. Uh, with society basically just gone to shit around him. Huh. And it's really, really good. Uh, when the collection of that comes out, you should definitely pick it up. Jeff. Yeah, that that that's that's actually a it, really it, strong. It's book. really, really nice. Uh, I read uh, Peter Milligan's last four issues of Shadow Man. Mm. Also, his first four issues of Shadow Man, um, which it's really weird. It v- reads very much like Peter Milligan of Shade era, mm-hmm. but in such a way that you simultaneously are aware that it's that Peter Milligan. And also how comics have moved on past that. So you're very aware of his artificiality mm-hmm. in a way that like in the nineties, you weren't, mm-hmm. do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? You're like, you know, it is artificial, but it's so much more real than these other comics. Right. And now you're very aware that he's, he's like sweating over the lines of dialogue and they're all just a little bit too clever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're very aware of it. Um, so it's, it's, I'm really ambivalent about it because on one hand it's totally classic Milligan and on the other hand you're kind of realizing that classic Milligan might not have been as good as you think he was. Well, it was a product, like you said, I think... Oh, it was a product of its time. Yeah, in its time because interestingly enough I remember, I don't remember how, I think months and months ago like they had the first issue of Shade the Changing Man I think free maybe um, on Comixology and I snagged it and reread it and I was like... This is still really strong. I mean, the thing that's really strange to me is there's stuff where you, there's stuff that doesn't age well, there's stuff that ages well, but I, I do feel like looking at some of the stuff that does not age well, um, you can still sort of see that it has some heft to it. I mean, especially considered to what else was going on at the time. Oh, no, you know? no, exactly. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's really weird. It uh, it's also a series that's been cancelled. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have their their three part mini series that's following on from it, but I think that's like an, an epilogue essentially. 
I'm right. not sure that's leading into something new. And it's a shame. You get the idea that Milligan had an idea of somewhere he was going, mm-hmm. and he just might never get there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a shame. So yeah, uh, Archer and Armstrong and Bloodshot and Hardcore have a crossover, a four-part crossover, and it's right. completely fine. Oh, Chris mm-hmm. is, is writing that, Jeff. Ah, see, well, that's it. I didn't know what he was doing for Marvel, but I was pretty sure that he was doing something. For... He's, he, yeah, he's right. Yeah. He's writing hardcore. Um, Harbinger right. or Harbinger, mm-hmm. depending on how you say it. Um, twenty and twenty-one. That's ramping up to their death of the of a har of a renegade storyline, uh-huh. uh, and that is again completely fine. It's a two-part ramp up for something that you know I'm sure will be better. Mm-hmm. when you've got the story it's leading up to. Mm-hmm. Uh, Justice League United Issue Zero. Another Issue Zero from DC that should be an Issue 1 because it's not a fucking prologue. It's quite clearly the first issue of the series. Right. And I, I don't know why I get so irritated by that, but I really do. <laughs> I mean, someone's going to pick up Issue 1 and be like, this is clearly a second part of a story. Right. What's the deal with that? Um, <laughs> and it's it's fine verging on dull. Right. It's workmanlike. Shall mm-hmm. we say? Uh, Secret Origins issue one. Uh, Greg Pak, Hell Higgins, and Tony Bedard. Tony Bedard, ladies and gentlemen, uh, writing the origins of Superman, Supergirl, and Robin. Mm. Uh, Greg Pak's Superman is great. It's really, really good. Uh, and the other two are fine. Mm-hmm. But Greg, uh, Greg Pak is weirdly turning into like a really good Superman writer. Huh. Like a really, really strong Superman writer with a very clear take on the character. Well, that's great. I don't, know if, I don't know if it's a take that anyone else is going to support, mm-hmm. but it's very, it's very interesting. He does, he, uh, DC sent me the first collection of his Batman Superman. Mm-hmm. And you remember both of us read the first issue and we're like, eh. Right. Uh, we should have stuck with it. Mm. The first collection has a really nice, uh, take on the new 52 Superman. Mm-hmm. Where he basically argues he's going to be a bit of a dick because he didn't have his parents. Like we've gotten used to the one who was raised by Pa and Mac Ent. Mm-hmm. And so they gave him this grounding. And this is a guy who's got all this power and never had that grounding. Hmm. Uh, and he then plays off that in action and in, in the, the Secret Origins issue as well. Interesting. Uh, the, like he is a good guy deep down, but he also has no idea what good guy actually means. Mm. Hmm. Take on it. Hmm. Uh, which, you know, he then folds Morrison stuff into as a social crusader. Right. Because you know, this, this is him basically playing out the role of what he thinks a good guy is. And then the superheroes come in. And so he folds into that role because mm. he doesn't understand what it means to be a good guy. He just knows that he wants to be one. Hmm. Which is a really interesting take. Right. So, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm really curious. Uh, DC sent me a shit ton of annuals. Batwoman Annual Issue 1, which is uh, kind of terrible. Mm-hmm. Very pretty, but it's uh, Mark and Draco finishing off the plots from J.H. Williams' run. And such a terrible ham-handed way. Hmm. I mean, it's really terribly ham-handed. Incredibly <laughs> soap opery. Uh, it, it's, yeah, it's kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Just how how quickly he tries to wrap everything up and mm-hmm. how he tries to wrap everything up and how terribly it reads wow uh, yeah it doesn't do anyone involved any favours Batgirl issue uh, Batgirl annual 2 is a Poison Ivy story and it's completely fine uh, Green Lantern New Guardians annual number 2 is uh, again workmanlike 
mm-hmm. okay to, to middling. Flash Annual 3 is, again, workmanlike to middling. What else have I got? As you can tell, I read a lot. Man yeah. of, uh, sorry, Doc, Doc Savage, Man of Bronze, Issue 5. Hmm. I love this series. Oh, have yeah? No, no, you have not. No, no, no. Really, really, I've, I have no background in Doc Savage at all. Literally zero. Huh. Uh, and I am loving this series to pieces. Huh. Uh, it's a... It's Chris Roberson and an artist who's wonderful, whose name I can't remember, Bilquis Evely. Hmm. Probably horrifically mispronouncing that. <laughs> um, but it's it's just really good. It's really strong pulp. Uh, it's Ro- Roberson's got a really good handle on um, pulp, sort of like pulp on fast forward, for one of a better way of putting it. Right. Where he, he like hits all the tropes, but hits all the tropes really lightly because he's doing something much. Uh, he's not trying to tell a pulp story as much as he's trying to tell a story with the flavor of pulp. Mm. Uh, and so he's yeah, he's Doc Savage is really good at this. Masks was really good at that as well. His, his other Dynamite series. He's he's he really likes playing with the tropes, but not necessarily really getting into them. Huh. His his um his Mysterious Strangers for Oni did the same thing in many ways. Hmm. Yeah, it's, 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 I don't know if, I have no even idea if it's intentional, but it's something that keeps popping up when I read his work and it's something I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Let's see, Secret Avengers issue 2, Mighty Avengers issue 9, mm-hmm. uh, what else have I got? Loki issue 3, which is great. Yeah. Uh, Al Ewing and Lee Garbutt basically get rid of Loki for an issue. Hmm. The third, third issue of a series. Yeah, I was like, about to say, really early on. Uh, a story of old Loki. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically setting up plans for future issues, hmm. and it's it's great. It's really good. Um, what Batman and Wonder Woman issue thirty, which you read last time? Yes. Uh, and Veil issue two. I'm just listing things now. I read a bunch of comics, is what I'm saying. It's what it's, it sounds like. You did a bunch of comics. My goodness. Yeah, and all the free comic book day stuff. <laughs> wow, and yeah, which is just that's impressive and brilliant. And Jeff. Yes. Avengers 101 through 113. Ah, great. Great. I did, I, did I do it through 113 or 112? I want to say, I think I also did 113 knowing that you have a tendency to, to overshoot a little bit, so. Hey! <laughs> I don't mean it in a bad way. It's just Sure you don't. Can you blame me? You're, we're by 113. We're prime Engelhart. Yeah. Jeff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, oh, that's also, another thing. Shit, sorry. Uh, well, it's, it's another thing. Uh, I realized I read uh, Empire by um, Mark Wade and uh, oh, Barry Kitchen. Oh, did Kitchen. you sign up for Thrillbot? Yeah, I did. I did. That's another service what that I signed up for. What did you think of, of Empire? Uh, I thought it was mostly awful. Like, I really was impressed <laughs> at how much I've heard about Empire. Like, oh, yeah, and I like the hook and and... And I just read it and I was like, wow, I'm so... I think part of it, again, is is timing you know i read um his you know like 20 issues of uh what what is it incorrupt what what's the what's the one with the plutonian irredeemable irredeemable thank you i'm like invincible i'm like no incorruptible incorruptible Uh, no no incorruptible Yeah, exactly. That's why it gets completely confused. Yeah, Irredeemable, I think, is the one with the, the Plutonian. With the Plutonian, right. So I feel like I got to see um, Wade in Irredeemable. Yeah, that's it. Uh, 
basically have refined the system. Yeah, know how he wanted to to deliver the system, basically. Empire has a lot of these ideas, like, oh, I'm going to take, you know, a bunch of, like, a very sort of... I mean, in some ways, it reads like a reworked uh, Fourth World miniseries pitch, almost, you know, in the sense of all of the various underlings of Golgoth, um, you know, who are these, you know, evil assassinate types, you know, or ministers of his various dark government. Um, you're supposed to be invested in them at various points. And I was just like, but why would I be? Whereas I feel like Irredeemable did a much better job, probably because it was you know, going, com, coming at it from a different perspective, which is showing sort of the failures and flaws in these heroes and how, you know, how the Plutonian ended up like being a mirror of that and or using that to his advantage later on. So, um, but yeah, Empire, I thought was kind of largely terrible. I thought the female characterizations were like gross. I thought that everybody was like flat. I thought Golgoth was a great visual and nothing else really that the whole subplot of like, and that was the other thing that reminded me of irredeemable is, is that there's the latter half of the subplot has, you know, mysterious aliens with even more powers that are trying to secretly undo, um, you know, Golgoth's plan before he can fully execute it, you know? Uh, it just, it didn't, it didn't fry my burger. It was like 150 pages of what I thought was really clumsy, um, storytelling. So yeah, I was kind of glad I, what's I haven't read it. I haven't read it for, I haven't read it since DC published like, well, I guess the second series of it way back when I feel like it's at least 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, and you totally made me want to read it again. <laughs> well, good. Good. I think you should, because it would be fun to talk about, because I really do feel like, as uh, uh, I feel like so much of what he did in Irredeemable took took the same material, streamlined it, used it to better ends, and this was kind of Wade's like, oh, I've got a million dollar idea, and I've got a couple of ideas for great scenes, but but there's just... I don't. I just didn't feel like he had a an especially um, good way with with making you care about the characters at all in in mm-hmm. the slightest. And then on top of it, there was just other stuff that I found kind of surprisingly hideous. Anyway, when you said when whatever it was that you mentioned, I'm like, oh shit! I should really mention this because a week a week ago when I was sitting on the couch reading it, I was like, oh my god! I've got to make sure I spend four hours complaining about this. So, you know. Everyone's lucky I, I that they're only getting this comic on the podcast. Yeah, exactly. Excoriate it. Uh, anyway, so I'm sorry. You were saying you were talking about. I was being saying right in Avengers. Yes. Yes. Avengers. Let's, talk Avengers. Uh, let's start with 101, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, is... which is Harlan Ellison and Roy Thomas oh, doing a Shaggy dog story that I don't think the shaggiest of dogs would really care about. <laughs> It's yeah. terrible, right? It, it is. It is a really. I feel in some ways it's almost a. It's a better story than the two-parter that ended up being, you know, half the Avengers and half the Hulk. Um, sure. The Cyclops. No, it, it is. It is. It is not as. Uh, right. Well, for one thing, it's shorter, and that sounds like a, a 
punchline, but it's not meant to be one. Right. Like, I think it, it benefits from being more compact. Yes, absolutely. Um, but it's also, I mean, it's, it's, everything about it is, is so forced and mm-hmm. it's, like, it's twist is, it's just terrible. Like, yeah. it, it, the plot actually makes no sense. Mm-hmm. None. By the time you get to the end of it and they pull that last thing, it's like, wait a minute, that doesn't even remotely, yeah, um. And, and, and nothing, like, nothing hangs together. So it opens up with, you know, it's the man versus the ultimate computer thing. Right. Which has nothing to do with the rest of the story. Oh, like, yeah. He then has a heart attack yeah. for no real reason whatsoever. Yeah. And then you cut to the guy who's like, I've been given ultimate powers, but I have to kill these five people to save the world. Right. Because the Watcher told me. And then, then the Watcher's like, I lied. Right. Like, it's it's terrible. Okay. For one <laughs> thing, that, that guy didn't have a heart attack for no reason. It's just that entire point of the story has oh, no, no it's, it's, reason for existing. Um, yes, that's true. He has a heart attack because he's one of the five people. He's but one of the five people, and he touches up. Setup. What's that? Yeah, exactly. The whole setup is yeah. is is utterly inane. It, the and, whole and, thing yeah. is inane and and ridiculously baroque, which to me and, and, is kind of well. That's Harlan Ellison. You know yeah, what I mean? But it really is. It's like the worst of Ellison and the worst of Thomas put together. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's it's a which, which, which is a terrible yeah a terribly you know almost unrepeatable <laughs> result. Yeah, when you get the worst of two writers put together, you have really genuinely terrible, terrible comic. <laughs> but what's is amazing awful. is yeah. so you have that, and then it follows your follow up with um, I guess I think it's four issues, three issues of Thomas's yes. last issues on, on the Avengers, which mm-hmm. are some of the best he's done. Yeah, I thought so too. I thought so too. It helps in a way that again he's sort of inspired by art for the first at least for the first couple of issues of it, the Rich Buckler art is really strong. And then Oh and Rich Buckler, who is let's talk about swipe files. Oh yeah. Rich Buckler is literally tracing I say that's the figurative version of literally listeners. Yes. <laughs> Rich Buckler looks like very, he is tracing uh, in different issues, John Buscema or Neil Adams, yeah. depending on which character he's drawing. Yeah, exactly. And not even vaguely trying to hide it. it it's kind of astounding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it uh, is. Also, yes. I was going to say, issue 102 does feature uh, the two great Wanda scenes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the... Um... Uh, the first one, when Hawkeye tells her that he loves her. Yes. And says, woman's lip, remember, no more of that lady's first bull. So I'm going to do the telling first while putting, let's face it, an incredibly oversized finger on her lips. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there is and there is stuff. I'm going to yeah. do the telling first. Special delivery by kissing her. <laughs> yeah, weren't oh, we talking about God. that last time? Because it totally yes. was that whole, like, hilarious, like... Let me fill you up with my babies, baby. Yes. You know, it's, it's <laughs> about that fun. subtle. Four pages later by uh, Wanda dressing up in, shall we just say, a daring outfit. <laughs> yes. Uh, when we put this up, you'll have to put up a, an image of Wanda's outfits. Oh, when she's going out on the street and you're just like, whoa. Yes. Which, yeah. yeah, when she's going up, going for a stroll on the New York City streets yeah. in... Uh, a, a dress which is basically like shorts. It's like it's uh, like a red a mini corset? skirt, a red build, 
belted miniskirt, I think. Yeah, and but, then... but it's but it's got like a corset top that has like a triangle cut out just underneath her breasts, and she's wearing like a fur coat on top of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, yeah, I, I dialogue as well is classic. Roy Thomas trying to be there with the kids. Oh and yeah. Really, amazingly, what she says is, "Hi, heroes, leave a talk show on for me when I get back from my stroll, okay?" Yes. And then, and then she went, uh, quick several basically is like, he actually says, you'd go walk out, you could walk in Central Park at night, dressed like that, and mm-hmm. normally, I would say, you're a bit upside, quick silver, but in this case, he might have a point. <laughs> uh, and she goes, you promise not to mother me anymore, remember? Besides, the day the Scarlet Witch can't fend off a mugger, even the police had better hire bodyguards. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Hi, Jarvis. Don't wait up. And then the next scene is her going out. She's like, she put, she talks a good game, but really, she's heartbroken. Right. Right. Exactly. Oppose, but more's the pity. Um. Yeah. This. So this big final storyline, uh, which is hilarious in that it takes like nine million years for you to just to get to the cre- to the title credits. Like they don't yeah. even break that out until like page ten and eleven. Which is like what? Um, and also, it's worth getting there. Yes, because it is another spectacular, right? Almost title. What to do to the Sentinels? Come exclamation point. Well, and then in the credit box, as if that wasn't enough, it's oh, oh a new way of dying. Stanley presents a new way of dying. <laughs> Devised by Roy Thomas and Rich Buckler. Yes. From an idea suggested by Chris Claremont, which I think is kind of awesome. I don't know if you noticed yeah, that at the bottom. Yeah, but, I did. And yeah. you can tell that he's quite clearly in his um, I'm Thinking About the X-Men. Yes. No, we'll see. That's the thing that's kind of great is seeing him because he, he returns to the Sentinels and Starcore really early on in his uncanny. Yeah. Like, his all new like X-Men. Three full issues in. Yeah. It's like yeah, the yeah, second yeah. storyline. Exactly. It's like issues 97 through a hundred or maybe it's 98 through a hundred. Um, and so, so yeah, the storyline story of these issues uh, are uh, the event, the, sorry, the Sentinels who at the end of their last X-Men appearance had flown into the sun. Uh, mm-hmm. Because they had been convinced that the sun was the source of all mutations, come back from the sun. Yes. Uh, because that—that's—that's that's what happens. <laughs> yes. Um, and they come back from the sun, and they kidnap the Scarlet Witch uh, because they need a female mutant. And she says something like, "Why didn't you go for Marvel Girl? You always go for the X Men." And they're like, "We didn't know where she was." <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of hilarious. I forgot. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So good. Uh, uh, anyway, it all comes down to a showdown in Australia. Yes. Where the X-Men, the Sentinels have built a second base because why not? Right. There's no explanation out of given, which I kind of love. They're like, they had two headquarters in America and Australia. Yes. Just because. I, you know, that, I feel like they mentioned why they did it in, in Australia was it was something where because the Australian outback is so depopulated, they would they could avoid drawing attention to themselves. Yeah, and also to avoid uh, calling attention to themselves, they are all hiding inside a mountain. And right, exactly, they can't have a building. They have an enormous ant hill, which would be great if they had done the Sentinels in a different way. But it just seems kind of silly to watch these giant purple robots 
fly out sort of one by one. It's not any sort of ominous, like, they're not all swarming out at you. It's kind of like there's a bunch of them. And let's face it, the Sentinel design has always been a masterpiece of nobody really gave a crap. You know, I don't know if you. Oh, I completely disagree. I think the Sentinel design is a design classic. I genuinely do. I think really? the original Kirby Sentinels are so great. Wow, so great! I love the original Kirby Sentinels. Interesting, interesting. That's funny. I don't. They they don't really work for me apart from like the occasional creepy. I I like the I like their faces, but everything else about them, they just look like it's like ah, oh, they're wearing purple short pants. You know what I mean? With a goofy helmet. Oh, speaking well, of short for, pants, I, I feel like I feel like their coloring is amazing in this storyline in particular. I feel like they've really played up the new purple, pink, and orange color scheme of yeah. the Sentinel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like really just it, like, huh, that's because they went to the I, sun, I guess? I, I know where you're going with this. Speaking of short pants, you're talking about uh, Larry Trask and the fact that he doesn't get dressed before going to Australia, aren't you? No, I wasn't, actually. No? No. Okay. I was where, going where to... Where were you going with short pants? I was talking about... Issue 103, uh, the opening splash page has Iron Man announcing to the rest of the Avengers that the Sentinels are alive and well. But he is faced in, it's, it's a shot of him from behind addressing the table of everyone. And he's stretching up, he's standing up and for whatever reason, stretching up one arm. And sadly, a coloring mishap happens so that the yellow on Iron Man is colored flesh color. So it looks like Iron Man is wearing hot pants and high heels while addressing the Avengers. And it's a, it's a little, um, I, I thought it was hilarious. I was like, wait. It's, whoa. it's a brave choice. It is a brave choice. It was like, huh, he really looks like, so this is him, you know, practicing on being a stewardess. I don't, I don't know. I, I was just, I was kind of, it was uh, Also, crazy. it's another classic Rich Buckler moment where he's clearly trying to ape um, Neil Adams. Yes. But hasn't quite got his handle on proportions yet. Oh, yeah. So Iron Man has an amazingly small head there. Yes. Yeah. An amazingly elongated body and an amazingly small head, but that's nothing compared with Hawkeye and Thor. Yes. Yeah. No, it it is great. It's very much the sort of thing that you would see someone like Basima do of like, okay, I've got stuff in the foreground, I'm having stuff in the middle ground, and I've got stuff in the background of the panel. And you should basically read it from the foreground to the back, you know, to the midground, to the background. But because he doesn't, he can't really nail the perspective. I love when it's midget Captain America and midget Vision walking in in the bottom of that panel saying stuff. I'm just like, what? What's happening? Like it's so <laughs> exactly. Is Ant Man walking the scene? What the hell's happening? Yeah, exactly. Which is hilarious because, of course, when Englehart comes along. There's a weird sequence where Captain America gets shrunken down for absolutely no reason whatsoever, uh, which was kind of great. But but oh, we'll save that for... You're, you're jumping ahead. Yes, you're I am. Ahead. So I apologize. Um, the end of the Sentinel arc yes. is hilarious because mm-hmm. it is Roy Thomas ripping off himself. Yes. Congratulations, Roy Thomas. Yes. Uh, and also apparently showing that he has no idea, A, what evolution is, B... <laughs> What the sun does, or see, what a robot is. <laughs> the end of the Sentinel's arc is this. 
because the Sentinels had flown into the sun before, yes. the Leaf Sentinel, who for some reason has gotten more sun radiation, has, according to him, become neither human nor robot, but yes. both. Yeah. Yeah. So how exactly a robot became human by going into the sun? Never explained. Right. Never even vaguely explained. Not he evolved. And he's a mutant. He, uh, sorry, spoilers yes. for everyone, but that's no, that's no, exactly. brilliant. Because story. I passed closest to it. Yes, that's closest to the sun. That's the sun, by the way, that they actually flew into, and yeah. then were explained they flew out of. Because yes. he passed closest to the thing they were all in. Mm-hmm. I evolved somehow, as the others did not. Because if they did, that would be problematic for the story. Yes, into something quite different than they. I realized the full potential placed within me long ago by Bolivar Trask. I became both truly human and a mutant. Let's just think about this. Bolivar Trask, the man who created the killer robots to kill off mutants, yes. implanted a special seed in one that he could become a mutant who would be human. Yeah. That seems very likely. <laughs> Doesn't it, though? Yeah. He pulls exactly the same. Suddenly the Sentinels can't follow their leader because he's a mutant and therefore they shut down thing that he yes. pulled the last time. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. I totally dug it. I totally dug it. Um, yeah. And then I think that is that Jesus. That's 104, right? So that's the that's end of things. Yeah. And then that, 105 that, that, is, that is the end. Yeah. 105 Engelhart comes in and let's, let's be honest, Jeff. He saves the day fucking immediately. Oh, I think so too. Actually, one of the things that's amazing to me about, well, there's two things. One thing that I find amazing is if you follow the letters pages, um, to me, the best way to sum up the difference between Roy Thomas and Steve Englehart is Roy Thomas would write regular issues of Avengers during his long 70 plus issue run that felt like fill in issues. Englehart gets off to the start with two storylines that were basically fill-in issues and he makes them feel like core issues, you know? Yeah, incredibly important. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it's also fascinating to me that Englehart comes on and Englehart does exactly what Thomas has just done, which is pick up X-Men continuity. Yeah, right. Yes, and in fact stretches it because I think they were interested in having... They were trying to figure out a way to bring the X-Men in and relaunch them, considering you go from their their appearances here um, to the stuff that's going to lead into the Captain America Secret Empire stuff. Yeah, exactly. He's clearly – but also Englehart clearly is a big fan of the X-Men. Yes. Right. He must be. He's, cl- yeah. he's clearly like, I, I love these characters. I'm going to yeah. work out a way to make this work. Because he's also right at the same time as this. He's also writing the Beast series in Amazing Adventures. That's right. That's right. In fact, I assumed he did that first. Uh, Englehart is, he scripts with just a lot of confidence. There's a lot of, even in this fucking first issue, um, he has, he has a panel where the, where the Avengers Quinjet takes off. And then, he, and the panel, the caption says, then, in what for anyone else would be a mind-boggling zoning violation, the Avengers' famous Quinjet blasts away from the E60s into a dull yellow sky, carrying a cargo of worry and hope. And that is just, I mean, that's the cheese of the era, but Englehart is really incredibly 
confident and comfortable just right out of the gate. He like he knows what he wants to do as far as Scarlet Witch and the Vision's concerned. I mean, admittedly, Thomas is on the book, and I'm sure they were working through this stuff, but it just all feels a lot more assured. He really knows how to build the team dynamics and have people say things, even in the ostensible quiet moments, that that doesn't feel like just filler. You know what I mean? Yeah, and also, I don't know if it's that he had a plan straight off, but mm-hmm. Engler has this ability to never treat anything like it's a mistake. Yes, exactly. Which really helps. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. even if he, you get the feeling that even if Engelhart completely fucked something up, instead yeah. of being like, oh shit, okay, I'll try and explain it away, he'd yeah. take, I'll try and explain it away as like the greatest, most exciting thing he could do. Totally, totally. I, he does. And, and honestly, it works. One of the things that I thought was kind of great is after you get this storyline, his first issue is, you know, kind of this, mopping up of the of like you said the old x-men stuff that went unresolved and then he moves in with this um amazing oh, 106 is, is nuts yeah it's crazy issue I mean, 106 is amazing it's yeah. uh so the plot of issue 106 listeners is basically this captain america suddenly realizes that he has repressed memories from uh his time basically during the steranko arc of captain yes. Yeah. Uh, that involved him having a further fight with Hydra that we never saw because he didn't remember it. Yes. That uh, that ended with him basically finding the person in charge of Hydra who was not Madame Viper and unmasking him. But he can't remember who it is because it's yes. so horrific. And that's why he blanked it out. Right. Meanwhile, the rest of the Avengers are still trying to find Quicksilver, who at this point has been missing for three issues. Yes. Yeah. Which oh, and that is hilarious. funny. I, I love that, A, it's so bad, and that it's also, I did point this out, like, Englehart, although we are lauding him tremendously, listeners, there's still some goofy stuff. I mean, the, the incident that starts off issue, the previous issue, 105, is literally Scarlet Witch being like, I just heard some scientists disappeared, and Pietro's disappeared, so we have to go hunt maybe down these scientists. Connected. Yeah, maybe it's connected. She does the next issue as well. Yeah. At least when it's disappeared, my brother's disappeared. Why don't we try and find them both? Exactly. Uh, which yeah. is kind of hilarious. But, uh, so the Avengers are trying to find Pietro. They end up fighting each other. Yes. The reason it turns out they're fighting each other is because the space phantom from issue two, the goofy ass looking villain, yeah. is back, has been swapping places with all of them. And by the way, the Space Phantom... Oh no, this is revealed the next issue. But the next issue is revealed the Space Phantom is also in charge of Hydra. Yes. <laughs> well, He was the guy who the Captain America unmasked and blocked out. Yes. It, and if that doesn't sound nonsensical enough, listeners, he did that for the very specific reason of confirming that Captain America was the perfect specimen that they would want to be able to transfer. I want to even say it's not even their consciousness. It's the vision's no, consciousness it's, it's, into. Yeah, right. Cause, oh so, yeah. Cause the space phantom is also teamed up with the Grim Reaper. Right. Again, no particular reason apart from Engelhart loves his fucking continuity. And it's yeah. like, this is a dangling plot thread. So is this, this isn't a dangling plot thread, but I'll make it one. I'll tie them together. Right. Right. Which if you think about it on the one hand is the thing that's kind of weird is, uh, Thomas had, prior to this, gone several times to the well of 
these heroes are chasing one storyline, these other heroes are chasing another storyline, and look, the storylines combine. Who could have guessed? You know, he does that repeated number of times. And also, he got to the point where, like, that would happen, and even the characters wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, exactly. Remember that? There was a time in the last episode where we were talking about there's a storyline where basically the Avengers are like, oh, screw that, we're going to go and help our teammate, and it turns out they solve the earlier mystery at the same time, and they're not even vaguely surprised, even though (laughs) they should be. They're like, wait, what are you doing here? Not at all. They're like, of course you're here, let's fight. Yes, yes. So, uh, reading in the letters pages, what I did not realize is this three-part storyline is, there was an... ostensibly the way that it's described in the letter column is, is that because Rich Buckler is running behind on deadlines and that they knew that he had, uh, his wife had a baby on the way. Englehart wants to script something so that they don't have to worry about, um, the story, the story being late essentially. So he figures out that there is this entire issue of Captain America drawn by, you know, that Stanley and George Tuska did immediately following up on the Stranko issues because Lee thought that it was not, it had too many dangling plot threats. Anyways, this entire issue, and then he changes his mind and goes another direction. So they end up taking the panels and parts of the pages from the Stanley George Tuska thing. And those are the basis for Cap's flashbacks, which then gets inked by Dave Cockrum, who does kind of an amazing job look, making everything look the same, like, you know, part of like, it's all the same book, but that book is insane. You know, it's yeah, just, yeah, exactly. there's weird storytelling choices on like every page of those three issues. And yet, completely enjoyable completely completely enjoyable it's completely nuts yeah yeah and yet somehow it works Mm -hmm. it really does and part of that is you know Englehart's got some confidence part of it is the way that he's tying up because when he talks about the space phantom and how space phantom you know escapes he actually ties it in with an earlier issue of thor so there's just panels and panels he's like trying to keep track of it's it's not even like he's trying to keep track you get the sense that Engelhart is very excited by the idea of juggling multiple continuity storylines so unlike everyone else where it was like ah this is too difficult let's write out thor and captain america and iron man again Engelhart's like no 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 like have them all in here like sif's hanging out with thor great let's put sif in this issue like the Warriors three are staying at Stark Mansion. Sure, I've, I'm gonna let's jam them in a panel here and have Hawkeye talk about how he doesn't know who anyone is anymore. Um, it's it's very uh, it's all very much you know cut from the same cloth as what Roy Thomas has been tailoring his suits from. But he but I feel like Englehart brings so much freshness into it right off the bat that it's very tempting to be like, well, he just did it better he just yeah he he brings more of a sense of fun and less of a sense of obligation to it yeah you got the feeling that uh, thomas is telling these stories because basically it niggled thomas that no one had done this before like no one had tied up these loose ends right whereas you get the idea that Engelhart really enjoys yeah the puzzle of well if this is happening and this is happening then obviously these characters should show up here right right 
Exactly. The, the Engelhart is the uh, positive aspect of the fun, of the fan, and of the 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 continuity and, yeah, and the continuity you know, qualities of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Whereas Thomas was the negative. Thomas was, why isn't this making sense? It's making me angry. That's funny. I never necessarily thought of it as anger. I I just sort of thought of it as a, for the most part, he. He, it wasn't that he was doing it well. He was just doing it first. You know what I mean? So he kind of like, well, I want to do this thing and I want to do that thing. But at the same time, he's just so easily overwhelmed. Maybe that's because of his other duties or whatever. He's just not able. A lot of it doesn't have, like, there's bits and pieces where it will have that same sort of panache, but not the sort of stuff that, you know, that, you get Englehart, like Englehart really makes it seem like it's ridiculous that there's A, so much time spent on the X-Men, and B, in true Englehart fashion, half of his storyline with Magneto and what happened to the X-Men centers around what happened to the Angel's costume. You know what I mean? Like, that whole idea that there is, you know, that the Angel's costume change during the Neil Adams issues needs to be explained. Like what happened to that costume um, is. But also, can we talk, can we talk for a second about what happened to that costume in Engelhart's mind and how absolutely wacky it is? Uh, yes, we, sh- we can and should. Um, Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, uh, there, there's an explanation that Magneto puts on Angel's yes. costume, which has become imbued with Angel's power of flight, and yeah. he can fly. Yeah. Is is it that he can fly? I thought it was... No, because you see him weird. in the next panel. He flies. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That is... There is true. There is a... there. There's something where he shows up in it where I thought he he said something where... For with its hood put up and blah blah blah, it's part of it is like I fooled people into bringing people, bringing you into, you know, bringing me to your ship, and then he beats the shit out. Oh of no, no, I, I'm I'm talking about the next issues where he's he's explaining his plan. There, there, oh. he basically says, "Yeah, I put on Angel's costume because it gave me Angel's power of flight because wow. the costume was imbued with the power." He says that. No, I missed that. Oh my god, that is brilliant. Uh, Which is, it's just, (laughs) it's insane. That doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, There's so much great, I mean, there's great stuff to laugh about. I love the fact that they, the Avengers lose half their team. And keep in mind, the half that's remaining is like Thor, Iron Man, and the Vision. And they're like, clearly we need, we need to have stronger forces. Let's get Daredevil and the Black Widow. I love that. I love the fact that they're like, we, we need you. We can't do this on our own. I'm like, really? You actually need two depowered people? They're like, yeah, who, who's going to get killed? Who needs it, it, We yeah. need them in the front to take the shots. <laughs> it, is, it is kind of hilarious. So, yeah, we, I should backtrack slightly for, for people who have no idea what was going on. So the um, Engelhart's third arc, because he has like a mini arc that ends with Hawkeye leaving the team. Because yes. Hawkeye basically is like, I'm feeling a bit overshadowed. I'm uncomfortable. I'm leaving because that's what I do. Right. Uh, his third arc is uh, falls up on basically what has happened to the X Men because by this point we've had two plots in Avengers following up on X Men plot threads, but the yes. X Men aren't around. Yeah. And so he then follows up with what happened with the X Men, and the short version is they are now mind controlled by Magneto. Yes. Magneto's mind control is in itself. An explanation that borders on genius, but then just falls directly into ridiculousness. Yeah, completely. Completely. Magneto 
controls people's minds because he realized that people's blood has iron in it. Therefore, yes. if he slows down their blood, yeah. he can control their minds. He can basically control the, the, the flow of blood to their brain and make them do what he wants, which on the one hand was, yeah, is it's ridiculous. It's kind of great and it's kind of terrible. Yeah, but it's kind of great. Uh, to me, the, the thing that's funny is, is that he, it, that issue opens with Magneto sitting there laughing and making the Scarlet Witch like dance helpless, you know, in his power, which is such a great Star Wars moment in a way when you find out later that, you know, that's She's father daughter, and yeah. daughter. Yeah, it's just like, huh? But it was also just, I had that real creepy moment of like, oh God. This issue meant a lot to Chris Claremont. You can just tell it meant <laughs> a lot oh, to him. Man, what a horrifying thought! It's... I've told you, I told you last time, the Magneto two-parter and the story afterwards, the Flying God, are mm-hmm. the first Avengers comics I ever read. Oh yeah, you did tell me that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is and so like I, I like this, this issue means a lot to me, Jeff. And I don't know, I don't like what you're saying about Claremont. <laughs> it's not. It's not the same. It's not. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying like you guys liked it for the same reasons. But looking at that, I'm like, I know Chris Claremont liked that issue a lot, and I know why. Because well, pro- he probably didn't like the issue. Because let's face it. Oh no, he probably did. Because Black Widow gets to do things as well. Like she, she has, she has some mm-hmm. agency in there, and there's there's the double love. Yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. That's it's it's. There's a lot of Chris Claremont in this issue. Yeah, a lot of it, which is kind of funny considering how he shows up, you know, earlier in a storyline that doesn't really seem to have, you know, it's his idea, but it doesn't really have, like, his uh, interests, I guess, in many ways. And this definitely has the, like, seeing Magneto have have everyone mind-controlled really reminded me of, oh, so... When Chris Claremont, it's not that many years later that Chris Claremont and John Byrne have the X-Men captured by Magneto and t- utterly in his power, and and there's more creeping going on, you know? It's like, it's it's pretty impressive. What's the issue? There's an issue, is it is it the end of issue 110, where the last page has this amazing, like, you know, don't forget to vote, you know, below the next issue panel? Oh. No, no, I think. Oh God, is it issue one ten? What is it? It's not. I just looked at one ten, and it's not. I uh, it's no, I think it's earlier. Yeah, I thought so too, but shit. But that was awesome. I really had that moment. Like that to me really summed up what was going on. Can you hear those bells in the background? By the way, I cannot. Okay, thank goodness, because I'm like, it's the time. Oh where... my God, no! <laughs> I'm sorry, I said anything. Uh, I think it's at the end of the crazy, like, Hydra Grim Reaper it's, uh, it's the end of issue 107. Yeah, at the very It's like it the goes, stunning... Ish, the mind-staggering finale, the mind war, use the power to vote. 18. Yes, I love that. Whoever put that in there, I'm so happy, because it really is rushed in there, but it... it to me, it's like, okay, that sort of says so much about where we're at for this stage of Avengers. Like on the one hand, you're, you know, for a lot of people, you're like, Oh yeah, this is when the fanboys come in to the industry that they've grown up on and are finally start changing things, you know? And a lot of people feel that that puts us in this horrible cycle that ends up excluding new readers or whatever. But I really feel that they are the most naive and optimistic 
in many ways in the sense of like, no, this is like, I really believe that Marvel comics can change the world. And it's important that we show them that they are, that they are changing the world. Like, so it's actually really interesting because I think, I think you're right in both senses. Mm -hmm. I think this is a point where the fanboys are taking over, but I think this is the first wave of fanboys taking over and Mm -hmm. you have people who, uh, who believe in comics and who believe in comics for the sake of comics. Yeah. And there is a sense of we're working on really important stuff. You guys, you know, I know how much I was affected by this. So I, you know, I want to have that. I want to make someone else's life better as well. And right. you really have this incredible belief in what they're doing. And in Engelhart's case, an incredible confidence and ease with what he's doing as well. Yeah, very much so. Much more so. I mean, one of the things that I do appreciate so much at, by the time you get to 113, which is the, you know, f- the Vision and Scarlet Witch come together at the end of, is it the end of the Magneto storyline or is it before then? I guess it's it's the uh, it's end of the Grim the, Reaper. It's the yes, end of the Grim Reaper. Yeah, the beginning of the Magneto story. Yeah, Scarlet Witch tells Pietro that she and uh, the Vision are in love, and it right. goes it goes poorly. Yeah, and I think that's kind of again, it's the sort of thing that Thomas wanted to do, but never really kind of felt that comfortable with. Like Thomas is very much a went straight with his political messaging to be like, hating is terrible, but let's face it, you know, the black people have figured out their angle on it. You know, that kind of thing. Like, it's like, who am I to judge? Let's be right here in the center. I, as a lefty pinko, really appreciate the degree to which Englehart, even though it's very clumsy, his commitment in issue 113 to the idea that people are so upset by the idea that that there is a uh, human woman, even though she's a mutant and an android in love, that they basically turn themselves into suicide bombers is. Isn't it? Isn't isn't the suicide bomber thing like really weird? Oh, it's so I, strange. It's it's. it's funny in that yes. like people they actually have detonators on their heads so they yeah. have to tap like they're yeah. wearing caps and they have to put that push down the, the top of their cap to to explode but and they call themselves the human bombs but yeah. there's also something really weirdly scary about it, i guess yes yeah because they have also, them... the end of the story they'll fucking blow up Jeff. yeah 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 no it's true like thor throws them up in this hurricane to take care of them like, I'll put them in a different area where they won't hurt anyone. And they choose to blow themselves up inside the hurric- inside the tornado that's carrying them off. So you f- kind of think you're getting a bullshit ending, um, you know, of like, oh, Thor's just going to take care of this and zap them into another dimension where they, you know, can't bug the shit out of anyone. And in fact, those people die when the living bomb shows up. They look like idiots. They look like the human sprinklers the way that the the things built into their heads. And yet that first sequence where they pretty much blow up, you know, and, and the closest you really get to Thomas's sort of various false equivalencies is like, Oh yeah, we have the black woman who's like a human bomb who's going to blow herself and the vision up. But the thing that's crazy is it, it really does work. Like the vision is almost killed. There's all this rubble and you're very much aware of the other person literally blew themselves into tiny pieces. And this is a comic from like, you know, what, 1971, 1973? I guess it's got to be 73. 
Yeah, the July 1973 issue, you know? Yeah, it, it's it's crazy. And also you get the the reason that they're doing it mm-hmm. is it's explicitly stated as a religious reason. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, so that it's not totally even true. like, you know, it, you know, if Thomas was doing it, he would be so careful to not give a reason. Like, he'd be like, well, man just hates. Yes. Because, you know, yeah. man man has darkness inside him and man hates. And then right. it's just like, no, these guys are offended on behalf of Christianity. Yeah, there, there's an amazing they, little... They, they, they believe that this is an act... The uh, Scarlet Witch is acting against God's wishes. He does yeah. not even vaguely hide from it. No, he, he, he actually makes Cap read a letter written by these guys where it's only the Lord Jehovah can create life. And androids are the agent of the devil. And what's amazing is is that he also has things spelled wrong. Like he deliberately wrong, yeah. has it so that it's like yeah. it is it is not nearly the sort of careful, cautious Roy Thomas kind of molly coddling like you know, it's it's not especially centrist. Um but it is it is uh, char- it is effective and, and humanist and goofy at the same time, which also works in a way. Like I had a lot a lot of the cheap laughs that I had in the first hundred issues of Avengers, I had in these thirteen issues, and yet they felt better, stronger, and I was much more absorbed in them. They were not a slog at all. Like I as no, you and I, I met through, 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 through these. Yeah. Me too. Me too, which, as we have both talked about, like the previous 25 issues had been mostly a, sl- a huge slog. And these were like, I could have done 25 issues in a go, like, you know, and we could have talked about the whole round of it because it just, they just flew by. Um, you're sounding faintly Lords of the Fly-ish. Should we call back and then... And roll, 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 and Okay, so, uh, yes, I'll probably edit this part out, but um, give me a second to pour some water, so I'll call you in, like, two minutes. Okay, awesome. Okay, awesome. okay cool. Bye. 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 And we're back. Yes, we are. Indeed. Um, so, Graham. So, Jeff. Uh, we were talking about, gosh, we were talking about how enjoyable it was to actually just read through this bulk of issues and how much easier and it was it was not a chore at all which is delightful thank god oh no no it, it yeah the, these these 12 issues were really were just like this is great this mm-hmm. is uh maybe because you know these issues do include the first avengers issues i read right. but this feels like the avengers to me yeah there there's a confidence and uh sincerity is the wrong way of putting it but there's there's definitely a belief Yes. In the Avengers, that mm-hmm. is not tempered by self-consciousness. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Thomas was a very self-conscious writer, and Engelhart, you know, you could never call Engelhart a self-conscious writer. No, exactly. Or He's even the self-reflective. Yeah, yeah, Engelhart, yeah. You know? Uh, but Engelhart is just like, this is what it is, you guys, and it's awesome. Yeah. And he really sells it, especially at this stage of his career. He really sells the excitement of who these characters are and what they're doing. I think he also comes up with some really good organic ways like one of the things that i thought was pretty great about the the vision and scarlet witch romance is as it blooms um you know Engelhart has quicksilver come in and basically talk shit about it and i think even hawkeye is not pleased about it at all he's pretty fucking crabby about it um 
But Hawkeye doesn't actually, unlike under other Thomas issues where you would kind of have people, you know, like, hey, hotheads and have people get into a fight. Everyone is incredibly cautious about everyone on the Avengers team seems pretty cautious, as I recall, about the relationship and about the, the people involved in it, you know? And yeah, there's very much an idea of, um, you know, we don't agree with it, but it's also not our place. Yes, exactly. It's not our place, and our concerns are really much more in, you know, is a little bit more about, like, oh, how is the world going to take this? Like, I think there is that thing. Someone has a line where it's like, you know, yeah, I, f- I find it creepy, and I've worked with them for years. How is the outside world going to take it, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly, and, which, which is kind of fascinating. Yeah. It, it, they all of a sudden seem like grown-ups again. Yeah, they do, very much so. They seem like grown-ups and, for the most part, supportive grown-ups of one another, and that is – that's that's really a pleasure. That's a real change of pace from the, you know – Oh, Hank Pym's going to go, you know, show up and start pointing fingers and yelling at people kind of thing, you know? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, good, good job, Steve Englehart. You, he really did like in the space of a few issues. Yeah. I kind of thought it would take a while for him to, yeah, vastly, vastly like up the quality of the book. Yes. Now, uh, whatnots, of course, those of us who've been listening to the podcast for a while know that Graham and I are, kind of in the tank for Englehart, you know, foibles and all. So admittedly, I, our reading could be colored a little bit by that, but, but no. I don't think so. I <laughs> no, really, it's not. Yeah. No. I, I really, after everything else that we, we sort of had pushed, pushed through with the book, this was, um, I figured there, there would be. There's just such a sense of relief. Yeah. It's a much, much faster, smoother transition than I was expecting. I was really expecting you know, things aren't aren't necessarily perfect, but they are such a blessed improvement. Um, so, yes. Uh, should we talk about the future and then... Future's ends, Jeff? Is that what you mean? <laughs> Is that what we should talk about? Yes. Uh, okay, Jeff, do you want to talk about the future? Uh, let's I've... talk future. Yes, let's. This is the last episode, everyone. There is no future. <laughs> Dude, you're terrible. Ah. <laughs> what? You said talk about the future. We've said it's the last episode. What do you want me to say? Well, I think that you should say qualify things a little bit more. Okay, um, fine. Do you want me to give them the straight scoop? Please. Like the, the real skinny? Yes. Oh, you're so good at this. Listeners, as you know, Jeff and I have been recording a comic book podcast. For many years now, we've gotten to episode 150, which, like Marvel numbering, is actually not really issue episode 150, because there's some, like, quasi-episodes in there. Yeah. Nonetheless, also like Marvel, we are going to be relaunching after this episode. That's right. We had a great plan. It was an amazing plan. Mm-hmm. And then real life stepped in and completely screwed our plan somewhat. Yeah, slapped us around. Uh, so this is what's going to happen. We are going to be relaunching the podcast. We are going to be doing it a, a month from now. That's you right. will be hearing this uh, in the, I believe, the second week of May. Uh, and I probably the first week of June or the second week of June. Yes. Uh, we'll be coming back. We will, we will be returning. It will be all new, wait, what? Episode one, except we probably won't call it all new. Wait, what? 
because Marvel might sue. <laughs> Wait, what now? Would be kind of great, though, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think it's got a ring to it. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Wait, Maybe actually, that'd be great. Wait, what now? Wait, yeah. Wait. <laughs> Even better. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we're going to be relaunching. Um, the original plan was that we were going to relaunch immediately. We were just yes. going, we weren't going to take a break at all. Yeah. Um, but uh, to gloss over it slightly, something happened uh, with my family, and that has meant we're going to have to take a bit of a break that we hadn't originally planned for. Yes. So what would have been a middle of May relaunch is now going to be a beginning of June relaunch. Yes. But when we come back... We are going to be uh, greedy. We're going to be asking for your money. We're going to be uh, we're going to be very different. Jeff, would you like to tell them about that? Well, yeah, you're doing such a good job, and it's the end of the day. (laughs) Okay, let me come back. We are going to be uh, on our own website. Yes. Which Jeff, the URL will be waitwhatpodcast.com. Which uh, I think we're probably going to try and get up before we launch the podcast. I think that would be so, sensible, yeah. So we are probably going to try and get that up uh, last week of May-ish. Yes. I would pay attention to our social medias uh, for that. I am Graham M on Twitter, and Jeff is Lazy Bastard. Yeah. B-A-S-T-I-D. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we're going to be on our own uh, website. We are also going to be launching a Patreon campaign uh, to... Amongst other things, try and pay for the hosting for her own website. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's something we're really excited about taking the opportunity to do. Um, you know, it's it's a little tough in a way because we've also been part of the Savage Critic website for so long, but we wanted to try and figure out a way to sort of uh, make the leap on our own and see if we could figure out a way to make this make this work. We put a lot of um time and uh, work and affection into the Wait What podcast. And that that is not going to change, but we're hoping with the Patreon system and with a few other things uh, that, that listeners who care about the podcast can support us in what we do and kind of make that easier for us to continue to both keep doing it and kind of keep it feeling sort of fresh and important for us. Yeah. Uh, also, because it is a sort of crowdfunding type uh, thing, um, people who might expect very strange uh, bonuses or uh, gifts. Yes. Uh, I think you you will be very amused by what we have to offer. Uh, anyone who enjoys hearing Jeff and I crack each other up will be incredibly happy <laughs> with the Patreon video. Uh, yes. All I'm going to say is this. It's six minutes long. It took maybe an hour to record because Jeff and I lost our shit that much. It's true. Even even the edited version, we lose our shit a lot in. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, anyone who enjoys hearing both of us uh, really just – especially me. My voice gets so high at some point because (laughs) I am laughing so much that I can't breathe. Uh, yeah. yeah. So yeah, you've got that to look forward to. Yeah. Um, that will also be launching probably at the same time of the website, which we're aiming for a last week of May launch. Yes. Yeah. Look Again, for that last week of May. Please pay attention to our mm-hmm. social medias and we will tell you all about that. In fact, if you pay attention to our social medias, you will probably get very, very, very bored of us telling you about that. <laughs> I, I make that pledge right now, listeners. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, that's right. Making sure you know what you're going to get. Um, yeah, check check us out. We'll definitely keep the media going. Look for us uh, on you know Patreon or uh, and our social website medias types things. Jesus <laughs> wow. Christ. I don't know. It's late in the day. We, I'm yeah, tired. Our, I'm... Our social website media type things. Um, we're, we're super excited about this. We, yes. we have been um, talking about it and planning and giggling like children <laughs> for a long time about this. And That's we're right. really, really, really excited. And hopefully out there, some of you are excited as well. Hopefully some of you will uh, support us. And I don't mean financially, although I do, but I mean, right you'll stick with us and you'll, you'll, you'll be as excited as we are about this. Yeah. Um, it is kind of weird to be leaving Savage Critics after so long because it's been a while. It has been a while. In fact, one of the things that's uh, the timing, the way the timing works out on this, which is great, is if the dates that I gave in the RSS feed are correct, and that, honestly, they probably are not, um, Graham and I started this in June of 2009. So really, this is five years. It's going to be on our five year anniversary that we're going to be splitting and relaunching. But both Graham and I, of course, have been contributing to the Savage Creek website for much longer than that. So, uh, so it is, it's a strange, strange jump. Um, for people who are concerned, the way we have it scheduled is, um, you know, knock on wood, you'll be getting the same podcast you you know, if you don't want to pay for them, you'll still have access. People who do pay, we're giving access to other things and goodies. And frankly, it's at certain at at certain funding levels, we uh, hope we can actually expand our website and our duties with it even more, so that we can come closer and closer to being potentially a you know a full on full news reviewing comic website with with podcasts on it so that's a that could be a long way away or it could be very very soon depending on the the sort of funding that we get so we hope that you check it out i'm i'm saying long way away if only because i know what i'm scheduled to do in the near future yes <laughs> part of me is like oh man yeah it better uh, yeah, be a ways we, away yeah. we we really we really have um we have lots of plans. We we have lots of things we'd like to do, uh, and yeah, it's 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 very exciting and somewhat, as you can tell, we get a little anxious talking about it. Yes. It's a little awkward. We don't <laughs> like talking about ourselves that much. One of the reasons it took us an hour to record a video. Oh my god, it's so good. Um, <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Oh, I I are we actually? I we discussed letting people hear the outtakes of the video. Like if they if they donate, are we going to do that? I think we are. I think we are. I, I think you that's won't hear all of them because at one point I did just like talk about things that Kate and I were up to in Portland, which nobody needs to hear. Yeah, but but honestly, <laughs> considering we had something that was supposed to be three minutes and it ended up being six minutes, the fact that it took us an hour to record, there's a lot of comically great outtakes. I think so that we're that we hope to offer up as uh, rewards to people who fund us at certain levels. So. The idea is that if everything goes right, you get more of us, and we are able to, in turn, give more to you. So, um, and if everything goes wrong, you'll still have a podcast. We, that's right. I, we should say that. Yeah, we're we are not like making this. You have to pay to listen to exactly. it. Exactly. The, the podcast as is will keep going. 
Yeah, is not going to go behind a paywall. Um, but you will look for, hopefully you will come to our site to listen to it, find it, participate in conversations and, and what have you. We, <laughs> we're still a long way, we're still a long ways from putting that together, but I think that's going to be fast track very soon because, because it kind of has to be. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. <laughs> oh dear. Um, thank you very much to everyone who's listened for five years, which is kind of ridiculous. Now that you've said that, Jeff, oh my God. Yeah. Um, and, but especially to Brian Hibbs, who, uh, started Savage Critic and brought me in. You were, you were already part of this, every, the whole shebang when I came in, but yeah, Brian, Brian made it happen. He definitely did. He definitely did. Um, yeah. Uh, in fact, that reminds me. There's a story I'll have to tell you when we get off mic. But, uh, <laughs> I, oh, man. Is that where we're leaving it for people? Of course we are. That's, That's so worryingly fitting. <laughs> um, <laughs> this, ladies and gentlemen, has been the final episode of Wade Watt V1. That's Whether right. you want that to mean volume or version is up to you, technophobes. <laughs> uh, we will be back in about a month. Yes. Uh, things will be different, but I hate to tell you, we will be exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> Take that as a threat or promise as you wish. Indeed. Indeed. So, uh, until that time, Graham. Bye!